This is Jack Donovan, author of The Way of Men, and you are listening to Start the World. All right, I'm here today with Paul Carter. Uh, Paul Carter is a professional trainer and uh, a writer. He has written for Muscle and Fitness. Uh, he writes all the time for T Nation. He's written for Bodybuilding.com. Uh, I just think he's one of the best guys out there. He's I scroll through his uh, Instagram feed and find uh, good little tips all the time that I work into my own uh, routines. Because I, I, what I like about Paul is that he's not uh, gimmick oriented. He's not gimmick driven. Like he's doing the basics and just a little bit better all the time. And uh, I really like where he he goes with that. And I also hired uh, Paul a few years ago to do my diet. And to this day, I do some imperfect variation of what he told me to do. Uh, and it's really, people always ask me about my diet and what I eat. And well, well, I got it from Paul. So great to have you on the show again, Paul. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. It's been quite a few years. I still reference that when I do other other podcasts what we were talking about before we started the recording. I still, in other podcasts, I've, I've referenced that when people have me on to talk about uh, life and relationship stuff. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I, literally, our first exchange was like, uh, so you have a lot of feelings, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I've been stoked about coming back on with you because uh, uh, we have a good rapport and there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that you and I jive back and forth about. So I've been excited about coming on and shooting the shit with you. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. All right, so I'm going to start with my selfish question. All right. <laughs> uh, because I said I was going to do that. So, uh, but I think this is interesting because the, the fitness industry, I think, is about to go through a really big shift. Yeah. Because like home gyms just actually blew up. Like you can't buy iron right now. Like I can't buy. If you're a multimillionaire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I made a little extra money the other day. I, I, I was like, well, I'm going to upgrade my rack. I'll get a real rack. I can't buy one except for, I can buy some garbage off of Amazon probably, but like, you know, I went to rogue. I went to Elite FTS. I went to Sornex and I was going to invest in a good rack. Nope. Can't do it. Nope. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like once, uh, once it's all hit uh, the, it's really been kind of cool in a way, right. To see that, um, how just how massive like fitness really is um I mean, you know we talk about you know the obesity epidemic quite often but then there clearly there's what i consider like a fitness epidemic in the united states too because the fact is one of the things that you hear um or heard across the board i mean there's literally protests all over the united states now to people wanting to get like we want to get back to the gym so it's kind of it's kind of cool but at the same time uh, i would see like on facebook marketplace uh 30 pound dumbbells for sale for like thousand dollars yeah. It was crazy, right? So Yeah, I like finally managed to get two extra bumper plates and I had to buy I didn't need, need bumper plates. I just bought bumper gigs because that's all I could get. It was right. like two hundred and fifty bucks through Amazon for two of them. And that's was not too bad. Forty fives? Yeah. Two forty fives is what I, that's what I paid for them. And I was like, so excited to get them. <laughs> well, they said it was like a dollar a pound. Mm -hmm. That was the usual. It was like a dollar a pound. For bumper yeah. plates, it might have been a little more, but still, it wasn't that much. But uh, that's still not a bad price considering all of this. It was pretty reasonable. I'm not, I'm not too, too mad about it. But I was just, I, I tried to get a pair of 95 pound dumbbells and they got pulled out of my cart while I was buying them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, going back to your question or your statement, I think there's, um, I think there's absolutely going to be a big shift in the fitness industry after this. I think. There's, it's going to be kind of like a January the 1st all over again as mm -hmm. we start, as gyms yeah. start back up. I think there's going to be people who um, 
who allowed themselves kind of let themselves go a little bit in the um in the months that we were locked in that are going to be like hey I'm, i don't you know i feel, I feel like crap i've gained all this extra weight uh so i think a lot of the coaches and this has kind of been my theory is a lot of the coaches uh, who work with clients and stuff who were able to make it through these months are going to be looking at pretty big business or could be looking at big business um coming out the other side of this but it could change how we um how we approach the fitness industry from a business standpoint too because i know like gold's filed for, for bankruptcy and mm-hmm. say 24-hour fitness is either going to or whatever i don't uh-huh. know what the survivability rate of all the a lot of the franchise gyms are going to be after this but uh i think it's clear to say that the the fitness landscape will be severely changed um, yeah. probably for at least for a significant period of time um, after even after all the restrictions are lifted. I think there's going to be some new models that, that come out of this. Um, you think about it this way, if you were if you have a private studio that had a limited amount of clients, say like 200 or 300 people that come in uh, that could still manage to stay open, um, you know, during these months or whatever. Um, and say, okay, we're only going to allow, you know, so many people in, um, you know, depending on what all the regulations of the state were. But uh, there was kind of a gym that did that here locally, sort of. But um, I think it'll definitely change the the landscape of fitness for a while. Uh, I don't think we'll know exactly what that looks like maybe for quite some time as things right. start to unfold. Because a lot of that stuff happens under the current for a while. And then you're like, oh, then you kind of retrace it back and be like, okay, this was the origin of that starting. But there's definitely going to be some changes. Um, it could be a case where after this, people are just like, you know what? I would rather invest in home equipment um, and just always have that ability so that this could never be taken away from me again. Right. I, I felt super lucky. I, I, I had a home gym. I also had two other gym memberships and I never used my home gym. But when this happened, I was like, wow, I'm sure I, I'm really glad that I have access to this now or I'd be one of these people trying to do push-ups every day because <laughs> that's what everyone was doing who were just sucking an apartment or whatever. And, uh, you know, but actually one of my questions, uh, my actual question was, uh, this question, you've seen this big, uh, shift towards, uh, everybody was working out with bands. Yeah. Right. You've seen this big shift with bands and whatever. And, and I got, I actually got a band because I had weights and whatever. And I actually found there are certain things that I really liked bands for. Yeah, hundred percent. And I was wondering, actually, if you could explain a little bit uh, to the audience, whatever, like, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of bands? Because one of the things that I, one of the things I found is like for like bicep curls, even, mm-hmm. like you know, it peaks at the top right where the, the the top of the pressure is, and that's I don't have good bicep peaks, so actually that was that was actually kind of helping me, and I really liked it. But you could feel a stronger contraction than you could. With yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah. That's so for one of the benefits of if you just have bands, not talking about bands uh, mixed with free weights. So one of the benefits that you have with bands is that for movements that are working the muscle in that shortened position, and what I talk about is, for example, like if you're doing like a chest fly or you do like a spider curl or anything where you're working the biceps where you have shoulder um, 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 flexion, right? Where your shoulders look to so you're working the biceps in like the short position. The as you get as you do the curl, right, you're going to have the band increases resistance the longer that it gets. So, as you start to curl, right, it becomes harder to curl. So, you get a lot of resistance uh, pulling against, say, like the bicep or against the pecs. So, for people um, who maybe didn't couldn't feel a particular muscle working um, with a band, if they can get into certain movements, 
what they can feel is a greater amount of tension or resistance as the muscle was starting to contract. They're like, ah, that's what that's supposed to necessarily feel like. As long as they're they're using good movement patterns, right? They're not uh, they're not using some type of terrible form, right? Um, I mean, that can be, there's definitely some things you can do with bands that are incredibly hard. Like I found some movements because I was still, like even on my Instagram, I was still trying to uh, have enough empathy for people who, who didn't have, you know, gyms. I was trying to, hey, if you had some light dumbbells or you had some bands, here's some stuff you can do to still be able to work out. Um, and the front raises, front raises for like traps um, has have always has been my go-to for years. And I always tell people that. And um, I actually found with the bands, especially like use like fat boy grips, um, that actually, I like that better than anything, almost anything else I've ever done. Mm -hmm. So some, and there's similar things, right? Like the, when you're doing an all the way overhead movement like that, the, that's actually gets the traps in their shortest position, um, rather than shrugs. And then you're not also working that, um, when you do people do shrugs, they're in that depressed, um, protracted scapula state, which we do so much of that anywhere where we roll forward kind right. of in that position, right? So it's, I always liked better an overhead race to get the traps really shortened. And using a band like that, I get a really nice peak contraction um, at the top. And that's what you're talking about with the bicep curl, getting that nice peak yeah. contraction or using a band. The, um, and then stuff like chest flies, um, the, 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 the drawback is going to be in some ways the same thing as you get as a benefit. So the drawback, well, there's a couple. One is that you don't load the eccentric portion of mm -hmm. movement. So, for example, if you're lowering in a bicep curl, as you start to lower, there, the resistance goes away completely. Um, right. Whereas there's certain machines, um, or with free weights, you can still fight gravity, right? But with bands, right. lower, like there's just less and less resistance. Yeah, like I'm trying to replace cables now, basically. Like, what was I doing with cables? Because I loved cables. I love cables. Uh, but but I'm like, I really can't have a cable set up in here, so I need to like, you know, like, so I've been trying to see what with bands can, can mm -hmm. substitute. Yeah, and so you can't load the eccentric, right? And then there's a right. lot of uh, there's a lot of um, metabolic damage uh, um, or mechanical damage, uh, mechanical damage that happens in the eccentric. Um, and the, the eccentric is probably responsible for a greater amount of muscle growth uh, than the concentric portion. Um, that's what we've seen oftentimes. So if you do some eccentric only training, you'll notice also that you get. Uh, you get more sore, there's more what we call mechanical damage, more microtrauma that happens at the muscular level, right? So um, muscle damage isn't necessarily tied in specifically with uh, muscle growth. We still need um, mechanical tension to go be the number one driver. But I have consistently found um, anecdotally when you tend to when you tend to load that eccentric or lowering portion or you're or you're actually cognizant of the fact that you're lowering slowly with controlled motion, mm -hmm. you tend to have more uh, results from a hypertrophy. Um, standpoint so you can't really load the eccentric portion of a movement with bands so that's kind of the drawbacks the other thing is for stuff like back movements um, if you're doing a row um, when you're when you're pulling in like this for like a row if you're doing some kind of row this is like the weakest position that you can be in it's like when you get into that uh, like to some type of transverse shoulder extension right so when you're pulling in here mm -hmm. worst thing about that is you're really weak in that position the band is like the, is offering the most tension in that position. So it's what you call a really bad resistance profile. Right. What you want to have, um, and most, it's unfortunate, most back movements are this way, even with free weights, is that I see, I would see people attaching bands, even like some of their free weights rowing. And I'm like, okay, you're taking a shitty exercise and making it worse. <laughs> so, so what you, with the one thing um, that you don't want 
uh, with uh, like a row when you're trying to work your back, a band are, are pretty counterproductive in that sense because um, again, they there's more resistance the longer the longer that the you pull on them. Um, so for back stuff, it's not great. Um, it's unfortunate most back movements work that way anyway. But outside of the eccentric loading, um, I, most people were kind of upset and like, hey, can I got that question asked a lot? Can I still grow at home if I just have like some bands or I just have body weight? I'm like, yeah, dude. There's there's people there's dudes in prison all over the world that are pretty jacked and all, you know they're doing like bunk pull ups and body weight squats and push ups all day long. So yeah, if you're working hard enough, if there's enough effort behind what you're doing, mm-hmm. then I mean, there's got to there, there's going to be adaptation that happens, which means at minimum you're you're not going to shrink right like right 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 like I, nobody gonna if, if you were like waking up every day or even three or four days a week and you were doing push-ups to failure dips between chairs lunges whatever okay. nobody's going to shrink during that time because you're still yeah. working your you know your most functional tissue in your body so it still has to you have to at least keep it yeah no absolutely i mean uh i mean even 10 sets of 10 pull-ups will, will actually like that's brutal. <laughs> that's good. For, yeah, that that's a that's a long workout that, that like that you'll feel that in your you know lats for days. Yeah, if you can uh, even be like doing ten sets of ten, uh, some of the light guys can do that. But I promise, if you start pushing like two forty, two fifty, like I am, I'm not doing ten sets of ten. There's just a, right, right. It's a hard day, <laughs> you know. Definitely. Yeah, in itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, so one of the things I remember, I, I feel like I remember people talking about it back when I was hanging out with power lifters and stuff more. Uh, is there a different, uh, as far as I guess, neuromuscular thing with bands? Uh, I, I, I feel like I remember somebody saying something like the, you know, they, they burn you out quicker or something like that, but I, I, that may be bullshit. From like a nervous system standpoint. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I don't know how you'd quantify that though. Okay. Cool. cool. I mean, like a lot, you hear that kind of stuff. I used to hear that kind of stuff with um, with powerlifters, and I think I know what you're talking about. It's like where you use like we add bands on to your free weights, right? And it's like right. oh, you have to cycle through using bands because the bands will burn out like your nervous system. I'm like, we don't get ner- your nervous system can be fatigued, but you, nobody burns out their nervous system. Like if right. you burn out your nervous system, you're gonna have bigger problems than lifting weights. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Obviously, using the bathroom for a hard time. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I don't know how somebody would necessarily quantify that. What we kind of do understand a little bit now about um, nervous system fatigue is that it's actually a little more related to endurance style work. Right. So um, I don't know how um, what we know about allowing your nervous system to recover is I don't know that it's necessarily like adding a band. I think it's it's a, what we kind of do understand a little bit about nervous system fatigue and recovery is that um, nervous system recovery happens within the workout and it happens post-workout. It happens during the training week. And during the workout, we, you want to have longer rest periods. One of the reasons why longer rest periods have been shown to allow for, uh, um, it, it's more productive if you're trying to grow muscle. That mm-hmm. rest between sets is better is because it allows for nervous system recovery between the sets. Now, the reason why that's important is because you have to be able to activate as many of those high threshold motor units as possible. So the high the, the high threshold motor units are connected to all the various muscle fibers, right? So mm-hmm. the more muscle fibers that are involved that you can activate in that set, the more you're gonna stimulate, the more you're gonna grow. Well, when your nervous system is recovered, it can't activate as many high threshold motor units. So from an in the workout standpoint, 
But one of the things about being able to, to have a really efficient, highly productive uh, hypertrophy workout is making sure that you're resting long enough between sets in order to activate so your nervous system recovers between those sets. So you can activate as many of those high threshold motor units as possible, which means you're activating as many muscle fibers as possible during the set. So you're stimulating more muscle fibers. And then from a, you're gonna have, um, you have localized or peripheral uh, muscle recovery that happens in between sessions too. And that's just like the muscle that you train itself. And that's generally, we've known for a while, that's gonna be 48 to 72 hours between training is gonna be somewhere ballpark is when that muscle recovers, but your nervous system um, has, there's, there's taxation there that happens um, at the nervous system level too. So a lot of, that's why a lot of guys, they can't necessarily figure out, I've talked about this, I call it workout hangover. So when you go and have a big deadlift workout, which why I don't deadlift anymore. So a lot of times for the day after a big deadlift workout, you're just so drained, right? Like you're just you don't like, want to do anything even after deadlifting. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want to go to bed. <laughs> I'll do it every once in a while. It takes me a long time to get psyched up to do that. <laughs> yeah. I always hated deadlifting. Um, like once I retired from powerlifting, I don't, I don't know that I deadlifted uh, maybe three times in the last, uh, what, I don't know, six, seven years. But uh, it, it's, it's, I've consistently found when, when I don't do regular deadlifts, I can train way more often. So one exercise, I found across the board that it really causes a great deal of inroads to systemic recovery majority mm -hmm. uh, of lifters. So I don't do regular deadlifts anymore. I found I get along fine with trap bar deadlifts, mm -hmm. Romanian deadlifts. Um, and I can, I can cycle into those. They don't take the, the same amount out of but traditional. Oh, so you find trap bar deadlifts don't, no, I really don't. Okay. Um, I, the way that I do them is more glute loaded. Um, okay. as I've got older, one of the things, and I've, I've talked about this a lot, is I do a lot more glute and hamstring training. Because as you get older, it, the glutes and your hamstrings, are, they, they, they're, they play such a responsible role in stabilizing the knee and the hips and providing adequate uh, stability and support for those. And when you get older, uh, you know, I'm 45, so I'm not like old, but I, I think about that longevity thing and I want to yeah. be able to strong hips. I want my knee. I've never had knee problems. I don't want to have knee problems, but I want those things to feel good. And guys who are constantly anteriorly loading. So it's like constantly trying to grow their quads and that kind of stuff. You've talked to those guys over the years, like, Oh, this knee hurt, that knee hurts, whatever. Like I would rather my hamstrings and glutes be really big and strong and, and be able to provide a lot of support um, to the, to the hips and the knees rather than like constantly beating up my knees, trying to grow my quads. So I never had like, big massive quads anyway and after 30 years of training if i wasn't going to have them i'm not going to have them now <laughs> but i've grown up i've grown a big ass over the last few years so that's uh that's actually good and to just change your training goals around sometimes um oh, yeah. pursue different things that's just, like can keep you stimulated about training too because after 30 years you gotta for, i know for me there's there's still have to find new stuff that you want to go training for it's hard to get excited about doing the same i mean like i've i've talked to a lot of guys like i'm i'm past my pr Ring. I pretty much hit any PRs that I'm probably going to hit. I mean, yeah. actually, I mean, I probably, if I wanted to work really hard for six months, I could probably deadlift more than I've deadlifted because it wasn't, it was only like 535. I'm sure I could get up to like, you know, close to six. Mm -hmm. I think I still have that ability. Now, whether I want to do that for six months to get it there, I, not really. You have to figure out like, is the, yeah. is the, is the juice worth the squeeze at that point, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and the same thing, it's like, you know, I could I could probably bench a little more than I've ever benched. Yeah, I could still do that. But yeah, it's not really, I, I'm pretty much, uh, y young guys, they're like chasing those numbers, which is good. That's you know, fine. But, but uh, you know, at my age, yeah, it does get like, well, I've already lifted more than I'm ever going to lift. So 
getting excited about something sometimes is harder, you know, as time. So you have to find, yeah, like you're saying, new stuff to do, you know, like. Yeah, and that's, it sounds, it sounds funny, but like over the past few years, like my, my leg training has shifted to all like hamstring and glute work. And whereas I didn't really, um, I didn't prioritize, you know, glute stuff for decades. So literally just having that mind, mindset, uh, mindset shift to where I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about like glute work and how to really, I mean, glutes are the biggest muscles in the body. You dudes get really weird about glute work, but now I'm like, I'm so over it, passion. I'm like, hey, <laughs> muscle on your body, right? Like we overly sexualize that shit because of women. Right. But um, it's fun. Like I've, I've had a good time making that, that transition um, like over the past few years, but just even saying, let me like, prioritize like hamstring and glute training because it's so different than any stuff I've ever done. So it's just another thing to kind of get excited about, stimulated about. So, I mean, it's been fun. And I think training still has to, there's gotta be some semblance of that you still enjoy it. Like I, yeah. my powerlifting, um, when I retired, I did not enjoy training anymore. I was so happy when I just made that internal decision. I'm never competing again. Right. I, dude, I just never squatted or benched or like deadlifted after. Like I still, I squat again now, but I squat more for like loose stuff. But like, I just got, I was so tired of living through this almost like created self-identity that my, like who I was existed by a weight on the bar. And that is such an unhealthy place to live. Yeah. I mean, I, I had Brandon Lilly on the show like not too long ago and he talks yeah, about, it would be about the, that a lot. Me of that guy, right? I love yeah, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, yeah. he's like family to me, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we had that talk a million times is that it took him forever to shed that whole thing of, who I am is is the number on the bar, right? Right. Like, like, and we, he and I've had that talk many times. Like, you don't realize how unhealthy that is until later when you're able to really let go of that. And like, wow, like I was so dysfunctional during that period. Right. Right. Anytime I feel like that. Anytime you attach a, a significant degree of well, of how you self-identify to an mm -hmm. existential thing, that's bad. That is so bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's this existential thing that is, it's pliable, it's movable, it's variable. And then I'm going to create this, per, like, this perception of self based on that thing. So whenever that moves, how I feel about me moves. Like, it's not, I'm giving that all the power in my life. Well, and it's also so, I mean, that specifically is, and I guess this happens with all elite athletes, you know, to certain, you know, a lot of them is that, uh, you know, you know that there's a timeline on that. You know, like, they're, they're, like there's not that, – that can't be your identity for 40 years because that's – you're not going to be lifting that in 40 years. You know, yeah. like – I don't know that some guys – take. I think – I don't know if some guys really come to that that place of acceptance about that because I still see guys sometimes on my social media that either I used to compete with or still, and they're still chasing PRs. I'm like, dude, you're like 47 years old. What are you doing? And they've had like five shoulder surgeries. <laughs> really thinking that, like the one guy that I'm friends with, he tore his pec like last year. Yeah. And he's in his mid to late forties. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing, dude? Like, just I mean, it's admirable. I I love it in a way because I've worked out with those guys, and I've I've worked out my buddy, my buddy Bob. I think we went in and was squatting with him, and like half his hamstring was torn, and he's still squatting like like a substantial amount of weight, and he's like. I still got like, you know, half, half a hamstring. That's fine. You know, I mean, it's impressive, but it's also, you know, it's, it's their, it, their longevity is not fantastic because of that. Well, it's, it, I also feel like a lot of those guys end up with more. Yeah. They end up with a lot of things they're nursing all the time. I mean, look at Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Poor Ronnie. And the people, 
you know, we, we attach a certain amount of, of honor to that. I don't, man, like I want to be 70 and still like, you know, be able to lift, be able to run, be able to do conditioning, all that kind of stuff. I, I think that there's this, nobody is kicking anybody's ass from the grave. Yeah. Right. And, um, and when you're 60 and you snap, snap, crackle and pop getting off the couch, you can't move and can't get around or bitching all the time about how this hurts and that hurts. I don't want to be that guy. Right. So like a lot of the stuff that I do now, um, that's why I'm so big on using like selecting the right movements, making sure you're performing them, good mechanics and those kind of things, because every exercise you do, when you think about it, has the potential to be corrective. Uh, in terms of how your body functions, if you're doing movements correctly, right? For your structure, if you're using the right kind of mechanics, and those kind of things, it can, li- it can literally help you. Um, just like how you feel, how you move, and those kind of things. Um, or it can be incredibly destructive. Like if you have poor mechanics, you create poor motor patterns over and over again, consistently compensating with one muscle over the other and never adjust those things. So lifting itself is, um, there's a broader scope of things that it can it uh, apply to your life in terms of just, well, I'm just going to be jacked or I'm just going to be huge or whatever. And I don't think you need to go do a bunch of uh, the Kelly star supple leopard shit. But um, I think that um, if you understand, you really understands a certain degree of the mechanics of how the muscle works and then how to apply uh, particular movements into your training uh, so that that way they, they, it's not just, Hey, I'm growing and I'm targeting this tissue and I'm stimulating this tissue to grow but I'm also making it work correctly in its functionability. Um, And, and so that's something I don't think that is something I've I've definitely transferred over to. I think that's something a lot of guys don't think about, which is why they're like, Oh, I got to do this half hour of mobility before I can lift. And I got to do the, this certain stretching and I got to do these certain corrective exercises before I can even get under the squat bar. I'm like, well, maybe you should just learn how to squat correctly first. (laughs) So that, I mean, that's kind of, had a, I've had a big mind, mindset shift in the last few years um, with that stuff. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it, so it, one of the things I see, I've seen you talk about on Instagram too, is uh, different stages of your lifting career, as far as I, I, how, how different people put, how, how different people put on muscle at different stages of, of training. Mm-hmm. I think you've had like three categories of that, I think. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So it's like beginner. Most of the beginner guys is uh, it's a neuro. The the adaptation requires neuro neurologically. So there's the what happens is as your body is learning the movements as a beginner, there's the it's muscle accumulation is more or less the byproduct of that neurological adaptation, right? So that's the adaptation that's occurring. You're trying when you watch beginners lift and they're all shaky and they can't quite move correctly. Well, they end up growing really fast because their their body's having to adapt really quickly to the stress that's being applied, right? So mm-hmm. the body's like, holy crap, I gotta I gotta grow some muscle here because you're asking me to do these these movements and there's you know there's loading that's being applied to it. So let me let me prepare the body to be able to do this stuff. So beginners grow really fast because neuro it's a it's a basically a neuro, neurological byproduct. Muscle growth is a neurological byproduct. And then what happens is after the body learns those motor patterns well enough where you've been lifting long enough and you can go in and you can do a leg press or a squat or a bench press or whatever you're doing when you can do that you know decently with a, a certain amount of um execution uh the body starts slowing down because it goes oh i know these i know these motor patterns and i've adapted for it so then it all becomes for the most part for intermediates it becomes about uh loading progressive overload mm-hmm. 
And I think that particular phase um, can last for a really long time. Like how long I ask guys like, well, I still get stronger on shit. Like just, I'm just not the, like the big three, but I pick stuff that I still chase progressive overload on. Mm-hmm. And I made a post about that last week. So I, it's the, but the true interme- intermediate stage where guys just should just be focusing on getting better with execution and then loading from there. That could be 15 years. Right. So a lot of people don't realize they could be in that, hey, you you still need to chase progressive overload as the primary factor. You could be in that stage for a really long time. And so then what you kind of come to a place where I consider truly like advanced is um, a place where you're focusing really on just muscle fatigue over and over again. And advanced guys, I think, can still eke out some muscle growth. It clearly it's not going to be in very large amounts. Mm-hmm. You can improve like certain muscles that are lagging high. Like I talked about like my glutes over the last few years. Well, I mean, I've been training for 25 years when I, I retired from powerlifting. I was like, man, I just had no ass. Like I it's like, and that's like, you know, the whole squat meme, like she squats. Cause that's like, well, I squat almost 700 pounds. I have no ass. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, so I was like, okay, well maybe I had to learn how to squat for, you know, an ass or, but I had to learn how to build an ass. And um, so I still think, Advanced guys, they can be like, you know what, this particular muscle group sucks, and they can improve that muscle group. But I, it's not always about chasing progressive overload. I think that uh, there's still, and I think there's going to be some research that's going to come out that's going to that's going to affirm this. But that uh, even as an advanced guy, you you know you can't really go. Let's say you you were, you were at your peak strength, and I think like when I was at my best, I was squatting. I it was like 500 for maybe like 13 or 14 or something, which is pretty good. And, um, but, um, like, so I'm not going to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) If I wanted to grow my legs, I want to grow like my, I grew my, my glutes, right? I, I grew my glutes despite the fact that I probably, you know, like I think now I did squat, I think it was like 400 for like 12, like a couple of months ago or whatever, which isn't terrible, but I don't really care about that shit anymore. The point that I'm trying to make here is I still grew a muscle group without focusing on like getting really strong on compound lifts. So, right. so when you get advanced, I think you have, you can approach it from different angles where, okay, I'm going to focus on achieving like the stimulus that I need to grow this muscle. And you don't, you can achieve it through fatiguing muscle fiber. Like for example, doing drop sets, doing cluster sets, doing, um, you know, supersetting particular movements like pre-exhaustion and post-exhaustion and things like that. So there's a multitude of ways that you can approach achieving like the significant degree of fatigue, which is still going to be like the body still needs to adapt to that particular stimulus by way of muscle growth. So anything where the amount of stimulus is going to be high enough and you can recover from it, that will cause remodeling at the, the, the muscular level, it will cause muscle growth. Mm-hmm. So, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't know in terms of like like what's really 100% defined, but I do believe, like I said, I think there's going to be some research that's going to come out that's going to show that um, you can still grow muscle without like progressive overload happening. But I kind of anecdotally know that, like I said, because it, there's lots of advanced, advanced guys that have grown muscle gotten better, and they're not as strong as they used to be. Right. So that's kind of like the three stages, I think. Though. So it's like the... For beginners, you're going to be looking at muscle growth as the byproduct of neurologically adapting to learning the movements. Beginners usually are just are intermediates are just chasing a lot of progressive overload. And then advanced guys, a lot of times, are uh, doing things that to achieve a higher degree of fatigue 
or stimulation at the, the muscular level. So that's kind of how I look at those, those stages and they can last different periods of time for different people. Cool. Cool. Now, I always think of you as someone, for obvious reasons, what we just talked about is to, to ask more advanced questions. But uh, uh, obviously, I, I think someone asked earlier, like, where would you point someone if they were just getting started? Oh, you know, honestly, if, you, if you're just getting started um, and you know, you're like a new, like, where you go? I would tell people, as far as like from a programming standpoint, it's really pretty tough to beat. Um, a lot of those old full body routines that guys used for decades and decades back before steroids were a thing. And mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily saying like uh, Eugene Sandauer. I'm mean, like a little further. I'm trying to think who who all like you know a lot of stuff that Reg Park did. Um, I mean, even though Reg was like a genetic elite, um, right. but you could scale back his volume and look at some of the stuff he did. But I still think those have merit. I think it was the old Mad Cow routines, the five by five stuff. I think or um, I think for beginner guys that really just want to look at programming, focus on just like the basics for a while and a few things that they usually throw in there, like some curls or some tricep work or stuff like that. That's kind of where I still say tell beginners to go to. Now, I say that, and this is a <laughs> do, as I say, do as I say and not as I do shit, right? Right, right. When I was actually coming up, I didn't cut my teeth that way. I cut my teeth on straight up bro routines and I, I never changed. Like I never did. I did a lot of the stuff people say you're not supposed to do. Yeah. And I did it and got better. And I think a lot of that comes back to the fact that I love working really freaking hard. Yeah. And when you work really freaking hard, you overcome a lot of dumb shit that you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of, I, I always had the propensity was I wanted to bust ass, man. I'm still like that to this day, right? Like I want to work really hard and dude, there's just, man, they just overcome so many shortcomings. If you're just a badass worker. Yeah. I feel like you can't teach somebody intensity. Like you can't explain intensity, you know, like that's cause that's a big difference. You know, if you have like first, my first uh, lifting buddy that I used to hang out with, he used to, uh, uh, I mean, he was kind of dramatic about it, but he would he would just lift until he was like falling out of the uh, like leg press and stuff like that. And I'm like, that was not what I was doing before I hung out with him, you know. Like, and so we were, you know, in there for like two hours and just like working really hard. And once once someone has done that, you're like, that's what working hard looks like. Okay, exactly. Okay, and what's funny is over the years when I've had people come train with me, mm -hmm. I would say nine out of ten times, and this is not like I'm some badass. Like, dude, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I learned. I what I cut my teeth on was a lot of like the principles that Dorian Yates espoused, like mm -hmm. heavy duty training to like the real failure, high intensity, high effort work. So I that's what I learned really early on. That always stuck with me. It spoke to what I call like my training soul. Like, where you know what resonates with you strongly. Like I didn't, I didn't. I wanted to go in and train as hard as possible. That's what felt right to me. And over the years, when I've had people train with me that don't really either it's i don't think that they're necessarily lazy um i don't think that they're necessarily lazy I, I, not always i think they don't understand that that particular type of training because they haven't done it and like i'll give like an example like i've had guys come out and train with me and like i i'm just doing normal workouts man and they're like wasted at the end of the workout yeah. and and because they're just not training to failure 
right? They're just leaving so many reps in the tank. Like I mean, that's like they'll do something. I'm like that is my warm up shit. And, and I I had this girl train with me when I was at the, in Columbus at the Arnold. She was a, a competitor, and like she would quit at a certain point. Instead, I'm like, why are you like why are you quitting? And like I'm like you got to keep going. And then I had to talk her into keep going. And um, I'm like, wow. I mean, she she looked amazing. She was an IFBB pro, but um, she didn't understand like that concept of really training till like, okay, that's it. Like can't get another rep. And um, so there's a lot of people that truly don't, either they don't enjoy training that way or they simply don't understand how to train that way. So when some of these studies come out, when they start talking about, I'll ask did, did these subjects train to failure or that's what I'm thinking. And mm -hmm. they'll say, but they're a lot, they call it volitional failure. And volitional failure is crying uncle. <laughs> volitional failure is not the same thing i love that phrase that I, i'm gonna have to steal that for something but volitional that, failure is a great yeah. title of something yeah right and uh it's yeah so that's what they they call it call it volitional failure and it's when the person goes i've had enough right and i don't i don't know that like I don't, there's got to be a shirt waiting for that. Have you never made that barbarian shirt like that? I wanted either. Like, I, you know, I knew you were gonna bring it up. I was like, I almost have to like upload something <laughs> real quick because I'm like, I know he's gonna bring that up. <laughs> wow, I just forgot till just now. Like I told you, you <laughs> shirt for years. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's um, like there's got to be a shirt waiting for that. It's like something like uh, we don't know what volitional failure is, and right, like I don't know, like and that's how I am with training. I don't know like quitting means yeah that because that's in your head that's that's a lot of dude i had a guy come out and train with me one time and um i don't like to like but when they do i just make sure to punish people because i don't like people to bother me from training but um he we were doing leg press and um he ended up beating his best uh his pr it was by uh i was like nine reps nine yeah he wondered why he wasn't getting results and he was like, he, he thought he trained hard. And so like, I would go again, like go again. Like he didn't know what it meant to like really get hard into the paint on some of these sets, right? Yeah. And he was just destroyed for days after. Never asked his body to work that hard a day in life in the gym. And since then he's gay, he's like, man, I've seen all these results happen so fast. Just in nothing, nothing, no magic routine. The only thing that changed was his degree of effort. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I've, I've always struggled with. And one of the things that's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of people with uh, like the home gym type scenario is that, I don't know, shame is a really good motivator <laughs> as far as, as the, you know, working out with uh, somebody else. Someone working out with somebody stronger than you who's kind of be like, be cooler if you put another fucking dime on there or something, you know, like it'd be better. That'll push you over the edge a lot faster than just doing it by yourself a lot of times. Uh, yeah, I've got some, some dudes here. It's even to this day. Um, I got like, there's two guys here that sometimes I'd get together, especially before this all kicked in, we would all train together. And um, I tore my pack after I retired, retired from uh, powerlifting. So I'm like, my pressing will never be what it used to be. Otherwise I destroy those, those dudes and that shit too. But um like there's one young kid, he's got really strong legs. And so it's like, we have to try to keep up with him. Right. Right. And so that's still there, man. It's a really weird thing. It's great. Like, it, does, it doesn't go away. Right. Like here it is, you know, but on back day, oh, I make them a bitch. I make them, they don't even yeah. do like their warm up shit or my warm up shit is like they're struggling with. So like on back day, they, they know they're just going to get it. They yeah. just, they know they're going to get it. So, um, and so that's the good thing about that is, 
is that in those workouts, there's always like one guy that's a little better at something yeah. than the other, except on back day where I just crush them. I mean, it's just, it's just like working out with children. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like my back's like really strong, like back movement stuff I'm really strong on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but um, so it's like, but it's, yeah, it's like working out with children. But, uh, but on, the good thing about that is, is you're right. It's like when you're, when you're training with other people, uh, if you want to get better, stop, go find a place where you're not the best guy in the room. Oh, anything that you do in life, right? If you're the best guy in the room, it's time to get into a new room. Yeah. Right. So that's what a consistent say. If you want to be, and we talked about that before we started. I was like, if you, anything that you do, you're probably, no matter how great you are, there's probably somebody that's better at it. Go find that person and learn from them. Yeah. If you're a lifter and you want to get better, go find somebody you can learn from, but train with people who will help make you better too. Like whether it not as powerlifting or bodybuilding, or even if you're a recreational lifter who takes that shit seriously, which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If you are, and, and you find I've been stuck for a while, find somebody that is better than you, stronger than you, has, comes, comes to the gym uh, with more effort and intensity than you normally put out there, but you have to you have to put yourself into some really uncomfortable places and stress yourself uh, if you actually want to kind of you know level up. So, yeah, you're. I mean, finding people uh, that are better than you, stronger than you, like that's that's one of the most simple uh, key aspects we can do to help ourselves. Oh yeah, it's like the best advice in all areas of life. Really, is to surround around yourself with people who are better than you because yep. they push you, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing. And actually that's, that's a, probably a good thing to talk about too. We, uh, as far as now that, now that many people are being re-released back into the world, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is one of my, I mean, cause this is always the advice I get, like you need to go find friends and you need to have, you know, like, uh, people around you who are better and all that kind of stuff. And well, no one's been able to do that for like two months, but right. I really think that really people really need to prioritize networking right now. Like, okay, you know what it's like to not be able to prioritize networking. Right. Go out and make time to make time and find friends and like people who are doing what you want to be doing, you know, because it, it, you, you, hopefully you understand how precious it is now. Yeah. You know what? I had that conversation. This I've had this conversation with several people over the mm-hmm. last probably week, just the last week because the gym's here. um open right. back up. Okay. But I've had a, um, I've had a gym, a really well-stocked private gym training after the last two months. And it was, I was so thankful for it, like unbelievably thankful that I had that while a lot of people just had nothing. And, um, but at the same time, day one of being back in the gym and being around people, totally different, dude. Like totally different. And you don't necessarily, I think you do, or I'll say you do, I think all of us kind of do realize how much like we miss socializing, how much we miss seeing people, how much we miss all that stuff. I don't, I haven't spoken to a single person since I've been back in the gym, but it just being back around people, it's like, ah, normalcy, right? Just, but being able to get out and go to a restaurant, being able to go to the gym, uh, being able to go to church, just being able to do all those things and just be around people. And one of the things I believe, um, so strongly in is that without waking up each day and having a sense of meaning and purpose about life, that's when depression becomes an issue or when a sense of hollowness or emptiness can feel like it envelops us, right? Mm -hmm. But the way that we deepen that sense of meaning to something that we find meaningful in life is that we find other people that share that belief system, right? right? So it's kind of like, so you can do this with something as simple as a diet. So if you decide, hey, I'm going to do keto. Right. 
you start doing keto. What do you do? You go find other people that do keto diets and do keto dieting. And you talk about keto dieting with those people. Talk about keto things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing that we do as human beings is, is that we find things, whether they're ideological, whether they're spiritual, no matter what, whether they're physical or whatever, we find things that we feel like give our life meaning and purpose and completeness. And then the way we deepen that sense of meaning is that we find other people that share and hold that those same particular ideologies, right? And that's how we connect with those people, we build relationships with those people. And that gives our life that deeper sense of purpose, meaning, connectedness, all that kind of stuff. So when you walk into the gym, you don't necessarily even need to like cultivate uh, and that's what I was getting at is like, like really, I don't need to go to necessarily make friends. Like I see people that I hadn't seen like in three months cause this, and you know, we'd nod at each other. Yeah, and, yeah. Hey, you're back. You're back. It's great. Right. It's great. And like, you could, you get that energy. Like it's great. So, um, but with, when you remove that aspect, you can still have all that stuff in your life. So I still had a gym to go to. I still had, um, I could still go pick up curbside, uh, you know, food from my restaurant, whatever. It is not the same. You no. remove that sense of I'm connected to community. And you talked about this a lot, you know, in, in, you know, in passing in conversations about how unbelievably important. And it, it's kind of uh, profound that we've, that you and I like have talked about this. I mean, you've talked about it. I've written about it over the last couple of years about that, that uh, deep need, especially for us as men have a sense of connectedness with, uh, with our tribe, with community, with those kind of things. And that we hit this to where that's kind of taken out from you. And then we see this sudden increase in depression um, right. and suicides and all that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, you know, men already, that's already a, uh, um, a massive problem uh, with men right now. It, it, and now you take this away and you say, you can't, okay, yeah. you can't, you can't go socialize. You can't get out. You can't, you can't date. You can't do all the stuff that we're normally used to um, connecting with. You know, whether it's other men or whether, you know, it's like we're trying to date or whatever it is, you know, right. we're going to the gym, whatever it is that we're trying to do that gets all, you know, taken away from you. And it doesn't matter. Like I said, it doesn't matter that I had a fully stocked gym. It doesn't matter. I could pick up roadside food or curbside food. Roadside would be pretty damn bad. Um, that's like that. <laughs> curbside food, right? So curbside food and like having a place to train, like I was very thankful. But at the time I was like, man, I just miss people. Yeah. And it's like, I think the one thing that you said is I, that I hope that people get out of this and that they don't, they don't forget is that how much we need that sense of being connected to one another. Yeah. Right. And like, you can't quantify it. And that's why I think, you know, you have all these guys who are trying to run the world from spreadsheets and are like, well, this is what human beings need. <laughs> if they have those things, then they'll be fine. Right. And uh, that's not the whole picture. You know, that's not the whole picture at all. And I think that, yeah, people need to feel like they're part of their community and they have uh, other people around them who share the same ideas and they're connected to people. And, and I think it underlined really how a lot of men are really isolated anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially the modern life, and I talk about this with guys all the time, uh, modern life tends to isolate men. It's like they get their girlfriend or their wife or whatever, and then that becomes their whole world. And then all their friendships with other men slowly disappear. Yeah. And then they, they just don't have, then they just have that. And then if their girlfriend leaves them, then they're just completely ruined because they've got nothing. Right. And, and they need to be embedded in a bigger system. Yeah. And you know, uh, women, uh, if you've looked at the, the statistics, so it's like after, 
if uh, um, in a married couple that you know are together for a long time, um, when the wife dies, the husband will usually go pretty quickly um, after after she passes away if she if she goes first. And but if you reverse that, um, if the husband dies, the the woman can live for a long time. It's really common. Yeah. And what they kind of uh, theorize about that is that women do a better job of creating that larger emotional footprint. So women go out, they tend to have other women they connect with mm-hmm. when they're, they tend to have like, you know, with their bingo night that they go and they do together. And, you know, they, they find things to create and cultivate in their life. And I even see that stuff um, starting at pretty early ages, you know, both across like males and females with that stuff is that males tend to become more isolated mm-hmm. as older. We tend to reach out less. We tend to connect less. We tend to spend time with other men less. It's like you said, especially once, um, you find like your, your partner that you're going to be with. Um, you find that from a lot of dudes, they just disappear. Your buddy just disappears. And oh yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's great. Like dedicating your life to your partner, but you sure. did mean that you've got, you have to cut everybody else out of it. I think it, it, it's more apparent to me now than ever is like, as you have that relationship with, a, you know, like where you get married or whatever it is you're dating that you still need to um, stay connected into those friendships. Those yeah. And the grant study out of Harvard, which is like the, it's a longitudinal study that's been like uh, 75 years, looked at that. And like the, the, the quality of our life by the time that we get to our deathbed, how we view our life, the, the degree of quality that we've lived is completely, um, or it's directly related and correlated to how we felt about the degree of relationships that we had in our life. So were they really fulfilling? Were they loving? Were they impactful? How, what those relationships like, everything from our, our parents um, to siblings, to friendships, to all those things. So at the end of the day, it's like the degree of happiness and fulfillment that we have in our life is directly related to the quality of the relationships that we continuously build and have that we surround ourselves with. And it's so important to continue to build those friendships, to mm-hmm. connect with your friends, stuff like that. I've done a really good job, I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, I've done a really good job in this time of having phone calls either every day or every other day with my buddies mm-hmm. where we talk for a few hours and man, it really, it helps a lot. And even if you can't get with them and hang out cause you know, they're spread across all over. Um, I have some locally here too, but, um, it, j- it does help a lot. It really makes, cause like if you can, uh, you and I both are big talkers, I think. So like you can probably get on the phone, like with the, with the right friend and talk for three or four hours and it's just a good time. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I always find it weird. People like, I don't want to get on the phone. I'm like, well, I don't want to text all day. <laughs> I don't want to text all day. I would rather somebody call me. We can have talk about more in a 15 minute phone call conversation than we can spend talking about like texting for the next right. four hours. So, and plus you get, you can, you, somebody had, there's inflection in their voice. There's context of the conversation. There's all those kind of things. One of the worst things I definitely found is, man, when you're dating, don't argue through text. Holy shit. Oh yeah. And just any, any, any actual kind of relation, if you're having any kind of conflict, oh, don't have it through text. I mean, I've, I've definitely created some big, like in telegram chats and like, I've, I've created some stuff that that probably didn't need to get out of hand. And you know what the other thing is, is that I've consistently found is like when that's happening is that you don't tend to talk to a person. Like if you're talking to them on the phone or oh, yeah. person, you will, you don't talk with the same level of disrespect you'll approach them with in like a text. Oh yeah. 
Oh, like dude, dude, I'm a writer. If I if I pull that app up on my on my keyboard and my, on my Mac and I'm sitting there actually typing the response, oh, it's, it's just like okay. So like, if you're a writer, God help people that like end up against this because we're writers and yeah, yeah. we have the high degree of emotional EQ. Like, if I'm not really disciplined, I can shred somebody so horrendously. It's and then you look at you're like, oh, that was that was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be that person, right? And, right. and she, one of the things I've tried to cultivate and develop, and I still I still fail at sometimes, but I've gotten way better than, than I used to be, is when you feel that, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, just yeah. walk away for a while. Just oh, yeah. don't respond. Don't, no matter what you do, like try not to respond in that moment because when it escalates at that point, the other thing is you're hurting somebody that you love, you care about, whether or not you're going to work out with that person, I still think that there's something to be said. I don't know how much you follow Jordan Peterson. Uh, I love his stuff too. But he talked about, he said that, you know, basically the mark of a man of masculinity is um, uh, being able to like feel whatever emotion you're going to feel. And I can't remember how I'm paraphrasing, but to be able to stay emotionally centered at the same time. So you can be angry, you can be pissed off, um, or you can feel angry, you can feel pissed off, you can feel these this myriad of emotions, but you don't get off center and allow that you're say, I'm gonna, I'm going to let this anger or this rage, this this unbridled passion, like just come vomiting out of me onto this person. Because nine out of ten times later, we do feel bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, oh, ugh. yeah. Know, like you look back on that text you sent or that email, and you're like, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten better at this, but like I write something up and you just like, you, okay, no, like you're like, you're going to hit send. Right. And you're just like, mm. and you want to like so bad. Like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. in there. It exists. It, it, it exists like it, it within you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh and yeah. I've, I've been able to manage to do this thing and you should try this next. If you ever find yourself in this situation, just go ahead and write it all out. Write it all out and just look at it and then come back to it a few hours later. Dude, this is really weird. I've done this lately. Come back a few hours later. Don't send it no matter what. And read it again. You'll be like, ooh, I don't want to send that. Yeah. When the emotions die down and subside and your brain is able to kind of move back over from that thinking to observing brain and you're working from a, a more logical standpoint, you'll realize, ooh, no, this, like when that person would, if they would have got that, wow. Like, oh, yeah. There's just no need for it, but I've I've been able to to do that more lately. Um, when somebody was like text me or something, and I'm like, oh, you want to get it today, don't you? So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did a. I, I went through a period a couple of years ago where I was having a real rough time going through uh, a conflict with somebody. And uh, eventually I got, you know, with other people intervening, I was like, I couldn't keep barraging this person with like, and another fucking thing, you know, right. like, and, and, uh, and, and so I ended up starting to journal, you know, like I was trying, I was, I was writing him letters and journals over it. And, uh, you know, in, in the time it was still crazy time, but like, uh, yeah, a couple of months later, you go back and look at that journal. I'm like, I wrote the same letter every day. Every fucking day, I, I was on repeat with Different. the same angry thing. Right, exactly, and you have to release that, right? Yeah, yeah. And you'll get caught in that story. What I call it's that story. Oh yeah. 
And, um, and that's what I tell people is like, if you want to release something, let it go. Realize if you're waking, you're waking up each day and you're living in this one particular story, right. that, that internal dialogue, right. That, that we oh, yeah. have, I just found it recently. Not everybody. I always call it the windshield conversation. Cause it's when I'm driving and yes. another fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I talked to a friend of mine. Um, she's, she works in the IFBB. We were having this conversation a couple months ago. And we were talking about this very, this very uh, phenomenon. And I was like, do you have arguments with that, with that person in the car? They're not there, but you're arguing out loud. She goes, is there any other way? And I, was, <laughs> I said, okay, so you do that too. She's like, yeah. she goes, you know how many arguments where I just, just was like filleted somebody. She's like in the car, they're not there. And I'm like, and you're talking out loud, right? She's like, yeah, there's, yes, you're always talking out loud. Yeah. And um, I felt better after that because bro, Listen, listen, man. The arguments I've had in the shower with people, well, I'm just, 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 it's just a smoke show. Just, just scorched, scorched earth shit where I'm just tearing this, like, just down from everything. You just get out of the shower. Like, yeah. And you're like, why? You can't do that, though, when you're in the middle of that discussion, right, with the person. And right. you always come back later. It's like you said, and another fucking thing, and this, and this. <laughs> And then you have this, and then you like can dissect it like a detective in those moments yeah. later, yeah. but you're not working from the same place in your brain. But like that always comes back, right? And you get stuck because, in some way, I believe that in some way, shape, or form, what you're searching for there is a certain degree of resolution with somebody that you more than likely either love or you care about. And yeah. we get trapped in those places where we've either hurt somebody that we love or care about, or we feel hurt or betrayed or whatever by somebody we care about. We don't want to feel that and we end up arguing and fighting. We end up deepening those cuts. And more times than not, what we're really, we find this out later, is that we're looking for a certain amount of healing from something that happened to us even before that person. So this, if you have a, a high enough degree of like self-awareness um, or kind of working from a higher degree of consciousness, um, not to get like too cosmic or anybody or anything. More times than not, especially as we get older, we live through enough life experiences. What we often relive in terms of like emotional wounds or like the ways that people hurt, we will relive that shit with other people in a, a myriad of different ways. And it, it's unfortunate because what happens is that somewhere along the lines of us growing up and living life and, and interacting with people and loving people and caring about situations and caring about them, is that something shitty happens to us. Somebody does something shitty to us, like we get betrayed, we get lied to, we get cheated on, any of those kind of things that tend to, to cut really deep into us. And um, there's something deep in our subconscious that sometimes creates this little voice that we deserve that, that we deserve that shitty treatment, that we deserve that shitty outcome. And we end up trying to recreate or we end up recreating that those particular beliefs because we end up developing this cognitive bias that well i deserve that 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 thing that happened to me i deserved it so a lot of times we'll get into when we start having like new relationships especially from a romantic standpoint we'll have those new relationships is that we will absolutely believe this person is going to do this to me this person has these qualities about them whether they're true or not cognitive bias is so strong in those situations uh-huh. You believe that somebody is cheating on you? They are. Right. You find out they are. Well, you it's tricky too. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a survival, uh, you know, survival adaptation because you're recognizing patterns. 
Right. You're like, well, this other person did this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. Therefore, I can expect the same result. But it's not always. This, but it's not always true. Right. Yeah. And and that's that is a, a thing. That's a part of the cognitive bias is that we what we think that we're seeing a lot of times is because I always tell people until you start working from a higher degree of conscious, you're not a true seeker. You're a right seeker. I'm right about this. Let me go find all the ways that I'm right. Right. So we're right seekers. We have to become a true seeker. And a huge part of becoming a true seeker is not making assumptions. So when you're when you're when you're like in a relationship with a person like that, then if you're actually trying to seek the truth, you come to a person, ask questions. Hey, look, this is don't make accusations. As soon as you start making accusations, a person feels like you're doing character assassination, right? That never leads to good places. Right, right. But if you simply start asking and, and become inquisitive about what's going on and then open up and work from a place of, of real vulnerability about, hey, you know, I struggle with some of this shit because I had some, some stuff done to me that hurt really bad. And give that person a chance to quant either know like, hey, you know, here's some insecurities that you deal with. How can I help create security between us? How can I create, you know, a, a better degree of communication? You know, and be like, hey, you didn't, that stuff happened to you. You didn't deserve that shit. And I'm going to be a better person to you than they were. Just, you know, like, I know it might take you a while to trust that, but just come to me and talk to me. And that's kind of the place that is hard for us to get working. Because like you said, we start, we become, our cognitive bias comes so strong. We start to identify patterns that may not even be existing in a person. Like, but we will start finding them. We're like, let me go look and see what this person is doing on social media. And let me see if they say this when I say that, because that's what this other person said when I said this. And look at how that turned out. Right, so right, right. Get into this, this pattern behavior. Then we start blaming the other person when we're the one that's actually fucking creating it. Mm -hmm. Like, and if people are really introspective, they'll come to that realization. And they'll have the aha moment. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I did do that. Because like this one person really fucked me up that I was with. And then when I was with somebody else after that, I kept finding all these people that were doing the same thing. Do you honestly believe? I, I think that people can find certain character traits in other people and they're attracted to that because familiarity is comfortable. But I think we can also help to create and manifest certain outcomes by what we're doing with other people too, because we yeah. believe so strongly they are going to do these things. Yeah. And when they're not, it pisses us off. <laughs> Because they're not affirming that we are correct. Yeah. We don't like to be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything's, like you said, everything's a story. You know, yeah. everything's a story. Everything's a story. But words are a story. You know, a, a, words are a story about stories. You know, it's uh, all, all these stories, we get to trap them. And, and changing someone's mind is really changing their story. You know, like you're, you're shifting, you're putting them in a new story. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know why I never thought to say it that way, but that's great. And then, well, I mean, that's what a lot of things. If you look at like some of the social conditioning that's going on right now, recently, like here, here's the narrative that we've prepackaged for you in a certain set of words that you're going to repeat over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. That that just happened on a big on the biggest scale in the world. But there's so many other words that you know. People always ask me like, why are you so anal about words? You know, like because they matter. They super matter because someone packaged that word together for that little word sandwich together for you in a specific, specific way to bring you to a certain story. Mm -hmm. they, they're putting you in a certain story by using that words. I mean, I, I le you know, learned it a lot by like kind of dissecting what feminism does and all kinds of stuff. And well, just because a lot of that was political. And then so like if 
I would say they use the word hypergamy. No, no, hypergamy is a different thing. Uh, Hypermasculine. That's a value judgment because it means too masculine. For who? You're right. like, for who? So you're, you're making a value judgment is in, assumed into that. And so if you use that word, you're saying that's hypermasculine. Well, for who? For what, for what purpose? And what in war? Is it in, in, you know, in the office? You know, what's the situation? Like, like a word without context has no meaning. Right, right, right. But it, like the person who's using it is always making a value judgment. Because yeah, whatever you're doing is writer, writer thing because I'm really big on that. My former wife used to tell me that, yeah. that that irritated her because she would say I overanalyze words. I was like, words fucking matter because they tell you so much about where a person's working from. Oh yeah. And so like I would pick up on one of the things when I went through therapy that um my therapist pointed out to me was um, and I don't know, like this is probably something you're you would end up being interested in too, is that so how we talk to ourselves, the words that we use internally have such a dramatic effect on how we behave. Mm-hmm. Such a matter. Use a lot of absolutes. Mm-hmm. Like it has a way on how you feel, perceive situations. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So if you say, if you use phrases like never, always, all the time, stuff like that, it's when you use absolutes, it frames in your mind that the situation is this way, it's always this way. There's no, there's no, you know, uh, uh, there's no derivative from that particular situation. And like what we end up doing is, and we talked about this a little before, is like you end up living in those truths that are not real truths. Right. Like my wife always yells at me. Does she always yell at you? Like 24 seven? Always yelling at me. Like, you know, you like, you know, like you never, you never do whatever. Really? Whatever, whatever you never do it. So in your mind, think about this. So let's say you're like, you, you feel like you're disappointed, like in the relationship that you're in, but you've been repeating that story in your head that they never show up for me in the ways that I need them to. If that is what you're repeating in your head, you have created an absolute. So this person literally, if you've told them, say like, uh, you know, like when I come home, I just want you to, to just greet me at the door and just give me a hug when I get home from work. Mm-hmm. And let's say they do that three days of the week, but you want it every day. But if you say they never do it, you're not even acknowledging the few times that they are doing it, right? right. So we create those stories in our head, and then we, we don't, we're not living in the truth of what's going on in our life. We're not stepping into the truth of what's going on in our life. And even if we want things to improve, we have to acknowledge what the truth and what reality really is in those moments. And when we use things like absolutes in that internal dialogue, or we use them in our speech, then we create a this narrative in our head about what their our perception is and people say well your perception is reality but the problem is we can distort reality all the time and we do distort reality all the time and if you do not learn how to have healthy internal dialogue and then healthy external dialogue to to connect with you have a constantly distorted reality and it's amazing if you sit down and you say a phrase to somebody and ask them to repeat back to you what it is they just heard how opposite that like I can say something to a person, say, now repeat back to me your perception of what it is I just told you. And then they, when they do, I'm like, that isn't what I freaking said at all. And then sometimes you're like, wow, we are really not connecting on communication. Right. And words are just important for that reason. Oh, totally. Totally. It's, words are everything. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a word nerd at this point. I mean, that's what we, you know, I'm always, I'm actually interested in the history of words because like uh, in the way they change, because then that changes the story of the word as well. A lot of people will be like, well, this used to mean that. Now it means this. And they've changed a story about reality by changing that word. 
you know, I mean, I mean, that's what I mean, that's what the biggest things I mean, obviously, in my framework or whatever that it's come across in is like, uh, there's been a, a really a war over like the word masculinity and what it means for like decades. You like you can't like, it, people had a pretty good idea what it meant. And then people wanted to change what it meant because they wanted to change reality. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have to, okay. And so in order to do that, Jack is like, what we have to do is we have to change how everyone else, everyone else's perception. So in order to change people's perception about that in their brain, we have to change the meaning of that particular word. So when that word is said, their perception about that is now shifted. It becomes shifted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens over time. And so if you, if you repeat the word toxic masculinity enough times, right? Like what happens? Because anything that's that's associated with masculinity is toxic within itself. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They they've made that they've manifested that reality. Right. So then, what has to happen yeah. from there is in order to. So you have to. It's it's kind of a neat little uh, social ideology, right? So in order to to make masculinity something new, the first thing we have to do is tear it down and make it mean something it doesn't, and then we can reframe it later to mean something that we want it to mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's exactly what's been happening. And the th- the thing is, it's explicit. They right. know they're doing it. Uh, like it, it, the actual, like at the academic level, that's actually what they've been doing the whole time. But like the people who are using that, like on social media or whatever, like they're 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 just actors. You know, they're 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 saying the role that they've been kind of set up for them. Right. And when you challenge that, I'm like, okay, look. And one of my one of my metaphors for that is like, look, if I have to make a specific kind of cake. Mm-hmm. And if I have to make this cake and here's the ingredients I have to have and have to have all these ingredients in, in a specific amounts for it all to work together to make this specific cake that has this, this, te- this texture and has this taste and this consistency and all those things, then I can't, um, I can't have any derivatives from the ingredients, from the measurements, any of those things for it to come out that way. And to me, I, I view something developing uh, is something like growing into what I consider masculinity because I only use that word because to me yeah, masculinity is that cake is that can only contain these certain elements it can only contain certain virtues and then once you remove a virtue and insert it with something that's nefarious it's not that anymore it's something else you can't take that you can't take that cake and I'm gonna replace you know um, I'm gonna take the sugar out I'm not gonna add any sugar and I'm gonna put um, I don't know, like a McDonald's hamburger in there, right? Yeah. Instead of sugar, it's a McDonald's hamburger. And somebody goes, well, you can't put McDonald's hamburger in for, you can't substitute that for sugar. And you're like, watch me, but you're not going to get the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Dude is like, to me, I always, and you had a good phrase about this. It's like, sometimes you can't always necessarily de- define what I would consider like honorable masculinity, which we have to, to preface it with that. Right. Otherwise, well, that's, that's a whole different. Cause then that's, that's a qualifier. <laughs> yeah. like the so that that, that, shit, that then we're talking about a slightly different thing <laughs> okay so you, you said it's like you know it when you see it yeah 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 i just think it's it, it's almost that simple right and um but somebody at, at the same time all depending on what you grew up seeing from a social standpoint is like how you would define it but the thing is is it somewhere along the line that we know that there's such a thing as absolute morality. You grow up, you know that it's not okay to steal. You know that it's not okay to murder people. You know that it's not okay to, to rape. Or, you know, you know these things like in, instinctively, like, like not even just from a social construct. Is that if you're born with any, I feel like any degree of, of uh, moral compass, you understand. Like for example, taking something that's not yours is not okay. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there's, I mean, they call them human human universals in anthropology, just because basically, and you know, it's very tribally oriented to a certain extent. I mean, like we live in a in a weird society that's not tribally oriented, so like it's just kind of by osmosis we get all that stuff and whatever. But uh, I mean, normally it's like rape is always bad in your tribe. Always. Now that now that they went, many, many tribes have gone over and raped all the women in the next town, and that's okay, but like rape has always been bad in your own tribe. In your own tribe. And and the same thing is like, I mean, that's that's a human universal, always. We're, 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 we're laughing about the fact that these things have, uh, it's like there's qualifiers for like your behavior yeah. patterns too, right? It's like you yeah. don't murder anybody here in the tribe. Right. But if let's go take over this land, right? We'll same thing. Same thing. Okay, you know, and same thing with don't steal. Well, it makes perfect sense. Don't steal from your the person you share steal, everything. Like okay, we're all in a tribe. I'm not going to go into the hut over there and steal right. his shit. Right. But we go and start to pillage. Yeah, you know, yeah. Take all their shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a qualified thing. But but as a universal from from your social circle yeah it's it's always it's a constant but here's the thing what that comes back to also is this is it's about the survivability of your tribe that is oh, yeah. we're physiologically we're wired to two only two things survive yeah. and procreate right yeah so like that comes back to it's like well yeah it's not okay to kill unless that increases our survivability yeah and and if if killing the other tribe and taking their stuff means that we all get to survive, that our our level of survivability goes up, and yeah, we're going to go do that. Absolutely. So these yeah. things, a lot of those things, those, those constructs, you know, we're talking about masculinity, like come back to like when you look at the world, um, when these, it's like these uh, discussions that come up online. It's like, well, when that's because somebody went and conquered this land. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's what everybody did back then. That's how you survived was you went and conquered a land. So yeah. you survive. I don't. That's how the world has always worked forever. I'll, that way it, <laughs> yeah 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 the amount of time that it hasn't worked that way is like this much compared to like this dude like, I, i've been researching a lot of a lot of myths lately and there's a in in indo-european uh mythologies there's always um the amount of cattle thieving is, is amazing like with ancient greece uh the vedic stuff in the in the india and all that they, back in the day i mean because that's that was your wealth and they took our cattle. The hero got the cattle back. Is right. a is a theme that repeats over and over again. Or <laughs> it he was, went and stole the cattle for us. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. Like, it's created that. Um, yeah, exactly. It's created that uh, that hero archetype that you yeah, see. Yeah, yeah right? it's fundamental to it. He killed the dragon, or he saved the cattle. Is basically how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's the like that's the story. Every Hollywood story for where it has a hero archetype, right? It fits within that particular paradigm. Yeah. I, like it, it's one of those like he was he was unassuming was not worthy like oh, yeah. yeah they stole our cattle you know he stepped up to the plate went and got the cattle back you know kill the enemy save the day got the hot chick it's just, it's just it's an archetype right it's, yeah, yeah. Played over oh, totally it. totally that's how it always works exactly yeah it's like yeah and getting back to our main point there we were talking about like the defining like masculinity and how you have either hyper masculinity which i don't even i i don't like you're too they're you're too much man honestly man I, I think behind closed doors i think women probably enjoy too much man but anyway yeah uh, yeah, yeah well, uh, a perfect example of when i would say that that is real because it is a value judgment based on context would be like uh when guys come back from war and they can't integrate because yeah. they're too used to they're used to being in this kind of environment and they can't integrate 
because they the context has changed. Right. They're actually two massive, like they're ready to kill you. They're at the that that state. Was, that was they're at high warrior and they need to function at like customer service. <laughs> and that's a big, big leap that people have that's problems with. They could drop down. Yeah. And yeah, but I mean as I mean the only reason that was that word was created is to make a value judgment about men generally. So but but uh yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like we were talking about with words, and yeah. what I'm saying is like I, I feel like once you start removing virtues, mm-hmm. anything you're trying to define is like there has to be if you're going to define anything, but especially if you're going to define something as significant as a sense of identification, then there has to be a certain subset of virtues that make up uh, how that's going to be defined. I mean, when you look at a car, how do you define a car? because it has certain attributes to it. Oh, yeah. right? Well, that's all, all definition is exclusion. Right. Uh, if you define something, it is this and is therefore not all these other things. Right. You know, it has to be exclusive. People hate exclusion in modern society. And so they want to like kind of do word salad, everything because ex- exclusion, exclusion is mean, <laughs> you know, like you, For whatever reason, it has right. to be exclusive. You know, well, I think they confuse exclusion with elitism. It's not quite the same, right? Like, um, like for like to me, exclusion could could mean okay. Well, we're defining this because it has these things and it doesn't have these things, right? Yeah. This is what it is. We know this is what it is. A bicep curl is not a squat. It's not a squat. Why? Because it revolves around elbow flexion instead of knee and hip flexion, right? right. So, it's like, there's an exclusion of. Of, of knee and hip flexion because it's a bicep curl. Right. Only involves a significant degree of elbow flexion and it puts potentially a little bit of shoulder flexion. So, uh, so many yeah. of the discussions that are had in modern life are like, but what if it feels like a bicep curl? <laughs> like what, I mean, what if, what if she feels like she's doing a bicep curl or, you know, and, and it, why is that word only that word? <laughs> yeah. And like and that was what I, I got into a few times. You know, these are usually hot button topics. Right, right. I said, when you go back and you look at history, and I'm trying to think, I believe it was, was it St. Thomas Aquinas did actually a lot of writing. I believe it was St. Thomas Aquinas did a lot of writing and said that once you remove, start removing certain virtues or attributes of what they consider to be uh, masculine, then it just became effeminate, right? And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that there was a negative, a specific negative connotation with what was defined as effeminate. It just was not the masculine. Something else. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like this is like a really simple concept to me. It's like totally. It's like okay. It's a, such a simple concept. So if I take somebody who in my tribe steals from me, that's not a masculine trait, right? He's a thief, right? 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 It's not a masculine trait because there's no honorability in it. There's no integrity in that. Okay. Uh, if I take somebody that's in my tribe, it can't. Um, um, you know, that, that can't, you know, doesn't make money or doesn't, you know, carry their, their weight, whatever, yeah, they, weight they have a skill set or whatever, like contributes yeah. to the tribe, then um, that's not a masculine trait. Right. Like, generally speaking, like we understand, it's like you said, we understand somebody who um, has a certain degree of sense of purpose in their life, has a certain degree of honor, integrity, strength, courage, mm-hmm. uh, if they have, uh, that, that they're capable that they all these things that yeah. you see, like, yep, yeah, that's a dude, that's a man. Right? Yeah, because yeah. Made up of masculinity, and I know what masculinity looks like because it has these virtues and traits. Right. And once I remove those, oh, guess what? He's not. Now he's a thief. 
You know, now he's a murderer. Now he's a rapist. Now he says, and goes, I feel like the the one that you can't with masculinity, and I've obviously spent a good time, bit of time thinking about it. I feel like the one thing, because other of those things can be moral things and whatever. And that's, like you said, an honorable man, which is a qualifier, because there's men, there's men who are just jerks, (laughs) but they're still kind of, you know, you look at that guy and you're like, you know, masculine, but, but wait, hold on, because that's a good point. Because a lot of times people say this, is they say that this man, um this is a whole nother discussion we could do it's like the, like a guy a lot of times a guy that that either women or other dudes think are assholes are actually living more in their truth about either stating their needs they're like they're not okay with certain behaviors or whatever because they don't because like if somebody like steps over a boundary that you're having like hey dude like i'm not okay with that mm-hmm. they'll be like you're an asshole like no dude i have a boundary this is my boundary like i don't put up with that kind of behavior right so like you gotta go right. and well, that guy's an asshole. It's like, think about a, um, a bouncer. Yeah. Like a bouncer is like he doesn't, he has boundaries because he can only, he's enforcing the boundaries of that bar. So if you start behaving a certain way where you're stepping over the, the rules, he's like, dude, you got to go. And people yeah. are like, bouncer's an asshole. No, 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 there's boundaries and you're overstepping. Right. So a lot of times when, when guys are to say, well, you like guys that are assholes, I think the most disingenuous insidious dudes are the guys that pretend to be male feminists so they can identify and try to um, uh, placate to women's particular ideologies or sensibilities when the truth is they're just trying to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or they just want affirmation or something. There's a lot of guys who will just really repeat whatever women say back to them. And, and then they'll go talk to guys and they'll say something completely fucking different. Um, and that pisses me off. I'm like, or... A lot of times you'll have, uh, and I've had this happen a lot, is that you, what a guy says to a lot of other guys around the fire changes as soon as he gets a girlfriend. <laughs> like his opinion about the world and how it works and how women are and da 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 da. And then he gets a girlfriend. He's like, oh no no no, I don't believe that anymore. You know, like, and then like after that. she breaks up with him, he believes all those things again. Right. <laughs> you know. So which, which which here's the thing, which means he hasn't developed a strong sense of identity. So you right. take a guy that a lot of people say, well, this guy's an asshole. A lot of times those guys have a doesn't necessarily mean they don't need some work, but yeah. uh, a lot of times those guys have a strong sense of identity and they just don't waver from that, right? Like right. this is who I am, this is where I am, mm-hmm. and, and here's my needs. So you can either show up and meet my needs and you can respect my boundaries or you won't be in my life. Right. People that tend to do that have a have a strong sense of self and tend to also more times than not have a, a, um, a respect for other people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, Hey, respect my boundaries. I respect yours. Um, and then it's the same thing for people uh, who are like, Hey, I have these needs in my life. Well, when somebody is like, Oh, I don't want to, Oh, I, I can't do that for you. I can't show up for you in that kind of way. Just get rid of them. Yeah. Why do you keep people in your life that are like, if they understand you have needs, whatever that, whatever the inter, interdependency is within those particular relationships, whether they're friendships or work relationships or whether they're, you know, uh, romantic relationships or whatever, they're in healthy ones, there's going to be a certain amount of interdependency that occurs in those. It's, it's the opposite of codependency. So there's like, hey, it's like, I got me, but you got to have us too. Like, and I got us too, right? Like, so. There has to be some reciprocity. Yeah, or exactly. It's just not the people like one of the things that is like discouraging to me is like this certain amount you absolutely in a relationship, you should still maintain a certain degree of autonomy. And like, a, like I said, a strong sense of self, but it, we cannot go into a relationship without giving up. You say, I'm going to be in a commitment. Well, that's a commitment is kind of the opposite of freedom in some ways. So like if you have total freedom, total yeah. freedom, then you're not committing to anything. You're committing right. to, I'm just doing whatever I want to. But if you're saying, I'm going to have this person in my life, 
in order to commit to that, then you give up a certain amount of autonomy in order to give to the relationship. There's no other way around it. Right. There's a lot of, you can't, if you're trying to, you know, I like who I, you can be who you are. And I think what, what is healthy for people is, is, um, is that to be who you are, but if you're consistently finding that who you are is dysfunctional, then if you're not willing to say, Hey, I have some traits about me that are kind of shitty, then you're probably just kind of an immature freaking child. Yeah. Right. And I, I've come across that, you know, I, one person like, I like who I am and you don't like some of these things about me. And I'm like, yeah, but, um, some of those things about you are really fucking immature. Yeah. Right. And people it, aren't very self-aware. You know, I, a lot of people really aren't. Thing, dude, is like just yeah. the lack of self-awareness. I'm like, okay, but if you're, if you're supposed to be a grown-up, mature adult and you're doing some, um, I, what I call like hood rat shit, like that people do at like 15 years old or like yeah. 16 years old. I'm like, don't give me the whole, okay, you know, like, well, I like me. And I, I'm like, all of us should be introspective enough to say we have some certain dysfunctional traits and habits that we, that don't mesh well with other healthy people and that we probably should spend some time working on those. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I, I, that I feel like you're being dishonest if you, if you can't admit that because, yeah. and that never goes away. You know? No, like like until you die, like, you have a problem somewhere that you could be. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> you know? yeah. self development, man. Like it's a never ending. Like it doesn't go. Like it doesn't stop, right? Like if you're yeah. trying, like I want to become a better human being. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. It, it's just there's no. You don't wake up one day like oh achievement unlocked. I arrived. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I got it. It's not like uh, it's not like playing Xbox 360 and you're playing Call of Duty and you finally got all the dog tags. You know, like there's you don't collect you don't get to collect all the dog tags. So uh, it's a nevering process. And as you go through that process, one of the things that happens is is that there's other experiences and situations and certain valleys that we go through that reveal other things about us. So we're like, oh, that needs some work too. Like, and sometimes you don't you don't realize that till later. You're like, oh. And we end up, this was one I heard from somebody lately that I was talking to and said, um, sometimes like the lessons that we learn, they're just expensive lessons. Like there's definitely things you probably know this too, Jack, like you've made decisions about certain situations and you're like, you look back on it and you go, we, I think we try to, to kind of placate to our feel good emotions at times by having that in, internal discussion that, well, even if I lost, well, I learned whatever. But my take on that is this too. Sometimes we lose and we already knew the lesson. It was just an expensive lesson to learn because we end up losing people. I think sometimes if we would have been better human beings in those particular situations, we could cultivate a good relationship with that person situation. I've made plenty of what I call expensive lesson losses in my life where I've lost. And I'm like, I don't do that whole thing. Well, it was meant to be or whatever, because that just means we're living this perfect life. I think we make a lot of fucking mistakes as we go along and right. we look back on later and say, I totally wish I could have done that different. Yeah. Right. Like I, and there's so many things I've had plenty of those. Of the or last I week. wish I would have been smarter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many, here's the thing. It's kind of like that. It's the opposite of that discussion where the, the angry discussion you're having in the, the wind, the windshield discussion or the shower discussion. It's the other one where you still have that same discussion, but you, you wish you could have that discussion in a loving way with somebody that you care about all over again. So you could do a better job. Right. Like for you either as a human being, you're like, I, the way I handle that, I'm disappointed in myself. Oh yeah. 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 Or, right. Where you have those same discussions and those are the ones that hurts that I feel like stay with you for a long time mm -hmm. where you're like, I would do anything to go back in this moment, 
and have this discussion over and show up with a lot more love and empathy and compassion in that moment to connect with that person. And I mean, I've had that happen where um, I got my feelings hurt in a conversation and um, rather than being able to step away to understand that the person, they weren't trying to hurt my feelings, but what it was is they had some pain like mm-hmm. in their life and this topic brought that pain out. Right. They weren't even trying to hurt my feelings. They were looking for a way to connect and it just came out in the way that it did, but I took it personally. Man, it's the four agreements, right? You like those four agreements, like one of the ones is don't take anything personally. When you can do your best and try to remove that situations, you'll find so much clarity in the outcomes at times. It's like, you're like, hold on, let me not take this personally and see what's really going on here. But when we get pushed off center emotionally in a moment, right, because we feel attacked or we feel dismissed or like, um, like our feelings are, are made small or insignificant in those moments, then we can become like, potentially emotionally volatile with that person and be like, wow, did you just dismiss my feelings? Are you not validating how I feel this moment? Right. When you, if you step away, most people, you know what Hallen's razor is, right? You know, Hallen's razor, you know, Occam's razor is like the, the yeah. simplest answer is usually the right one. Hallen's razor is, um, is that most people are not truly malicious, but are just actually stupid sometimes. Yeah. I always try and, I mean, especially like, especially like with the stuff that's going on recently, I'm like, I really want to believe that incompetence was <laughs> that incompetence is incompetence and fear and, and quick reactions and bad choices. I want to believe that they explain everything because if they were malicious, then things are really bad. Right. <laughs> you know. So, so when you apply Hanlon's razor, yeah. Hanlon's razor, Hanlon's razor is like most people are not truly trying to be malicious. They're just kind of stupid in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a defining, truly defining characteristic uh, of a person. And I think sometimes like we have to remember that, like in those moments, those exchanges where you have somebody and they're like, is this person trying to hurt me? Is like, they're not probably not trying to be malicious. It's just a lot of times they're dealing with their own bullshit and they're not, they're actually, most people are not instinctively trying to hurt you like emotionally. A lot of times their own bullshit's coming out in that moment and you're taking it personally when you don't realize, hey, are you dealing with something there? Right. That is something I've learned in self-development. I don't always get it right. And that's when I get it wrong, it feels really shitty. But it's sometimes when a person is, when they actually, when they're wanting to connect, we do a shitty job of this, Jack. It's like when we, when we are hurt, we do often do a shitty job of just expressing, I feel hurt because of this. And just trying to connect with a person. A lot of times we default to whatever is that we've learned as a child and how we learn how to emotionally survive as a, as a child, right? right. So, all our framework is built uh, about how we view like relationships and connection and emotional survivability. All that's built from the time that you're really young and your attachment style. Right. So that's, that's the framework of that is built in. We get to the adults is that we still default to that inner child for emotional survival. So if, if you learn how to shut down as a child in order to feel protected, or if you learn how to lash out and fight, like that stuff tends to stay with you throughout life unless you kind of rewire yourself a little bit. So it's a lot of times we, we don't do that rewiring where we, we're just able to go to another person in those moments and say, listen, I am struggling with this right now. Think about it. Like, like most people don't like to be that vulnerable, say I'm struggling with this. I'm hurting with this. I need help. Those are phrases, especially as men that we struggle with to just like come out of our mouth, like to another person. Right. Well, but I then- think that's about framing a little bit too. I mean, uh, I think that you can do all those things. And I think that this has become a big thing in uh, like the word vulnerable. I had a big, I wrote a big essay about that because I was mad about it. Cause I got I, a lot of guys 
there are different ways to phrase certain things that are more masculine and they talk about the exact same thing. Yeah. In a way that like, because uh, I was like, well, vulnerability actually does mean weakness. That's what the physical definition of that is. You know, it is, but if you're talking about humility and self-awareness and all those other things, those are fine. Yeah, you know, like again, it comes back yeah. to the context of how we're applying that word. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I think that you know, if you're self-aware and you're and you're really, I, I think yeah, if you, if you maybe that might be make it easier for men to talk about the thing that they need to talk about or to state what their needs are or whatever is to think about that framing, right? You know, and, and to frame that as like, well, you know, frame it strong. <laughs> you can say the same thing and frame it strong. I mean, we're obviously we're all fallible, and if you can't admit that you're fallible, then you. You're, yeah, and I, yeah, no, I totally agree. And to me, yeah. vulnerability in the right context is a type of strength, right? It, vulnerability in the right context type of strength. Well, okay, I'll give you an example. If I go, let's say, like I'm I'm with my girlfriend, mm-hmm. and I need to state that here's a need that I have in the relationship. That is me working from a place of strength because I need for her to show up in a specific way to meet my needs. In order for her to understand that, I still have to be vulnerable enough to express here's my needs and this is why I need them. So if I want her to show up as be, to have the opportunity to show up as the best partner for me that she can, I have to be vulnerable to express what my needs as a man are. See, I think you can express what your needs are without, without, without being vulnerable. I mean, that's, that, that, like I said, that's my word style. That, that's my, for me, that's like taking one thing and making it another thing. I just got you because you're like, how am I going to do this stuff? <laughs> no, well, no, because I, I, like, I've looked at that a lot. And I'm, I'm just like, well, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. It, it, to say I have needs to me doesn't sound vulnerable. Like, I mean, vulnerability, vulnerability is one thing, you know. Right, because, you, because to you, that's just, okay, so here's the thing. You're framing that <laughs> as I'm working from a place of strength. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you take another guy that does not feel comfortable saying what his needs are, that means he's working from a place of weakness. Right, right. Which, but him not expressing that means he's not being vulnerable. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I, I like it where you're saying he was operating for. Uh, okay, take it. Ba- I like the boundary thing that you're talking about. Like, this is what, this is what the situation is. This is what the situation is. I can express the situation and what, where I'm at, whatever. And it's just, right. I don't know. It's just like, okay. I, I feel like we got that word from like Oprah speak and it like seeped yeah. into the male consciousness. These men didn't talk that way, but you could still say, I won't tolerate this relationship. I don't want this to happen. This is what I want. So that's a boundary. Okay. So if I define what I, but okay, take the same dude. Okay, Jack, think about this. Take a dude mm-hmm. who his girlfriend, we've all, we've all known this guy and his girlfriend's not showing up as like the way that he wants her to. Right. And, but he won't tell her that. You talked about earlier how he changes his speak. He yeah. won't do that because he's afraid he'll lose her. And he oh, yeah. will add, okay, so he will he will go through the relationship not having his needs met in order to stay in a shitty relationship because he's not vulnerable enough to say, I need these things in this relationship. That still requires vulnerability. I would say he's not strong enough to say. <laughs> <laughs> he's not being honest and living in his truth in the way that you <laughs> okay so here's the thing so like the thing is ultimately you and i are both saying the same thing what i have okay. i frame the word vulnerability with a type of with a type of strength right your vulnerability is just you being open enough to say listen these are my needs here's my boundaries here's the truth that i'm living in right now at this moment and if you can't do that and what you're saying is does that take strength i like it either way the thing is i like it either way because if you say this is a strength that i'm living out of 
is that I can be open. So if you remove the word vulnerability and say, the strength that I'm living out of is that I can be open enough to state my needs, that I can state, here's my boundaries. To say, this is how I need you to show up for me each day. This is like, tell me how you need me to show up for you. For you, you're saying that is working from a place of strength. I like that too. Yeah. I, I think that you can exchange that out and say, I'm working from my place of vulnerability because vulnerability to me is almost interchangeable with a certain degree of like transparency. It's like See, when, I, when I when I talk, I, I got into a, t- a thing with this guy, a guy w- before, and what I really like for that is humility, because the 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 f- and men have always valued humility. That's always been like in all cultures everywhere. Like you know, a, a sophisticated man is is humble. You know, if whether you're doing martial arts or you're doing everything, you're re- you're admitting that you're not the best. Yeah, and that you are imperfect. And, and and that's that's always been a masculine value. Like I don't know why we have to reword it into like something that means we. I, I think you just heard. <laughs> I think you heard the word vulnerable too much from like like you said off Oprah. And now you're just like I hate that word. Well, well, it's like I don't know. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It's just uh, women. Well, because uh, for me, it's a culture of like the what everything we were talking about at redefining words. Mm-hmm. Like honor means anything that I like that is good. You know, like we're in a culture where like honor means anything that's good, and strength means. And it, weakness is my strength. And, uh, you know, like, you know, diversity is our strength. And, like, people say shit like that, though, all the time. It's like baby talk. Like, they just change, like, this this thing that is opposite. What if I say that it means the other thing? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You know, like, they'll just, they'll just flip words around so that, again, we have words that don't mean anything because... The phrases where they swap the words out, like, if you don't learn how to control your anger, anger will control you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, that, I mean, that actually sounds pretty reasonable, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of... That actually is true. <laughs> it is, it's true. But the, the other, the other, I'm more taking the, uh, the redefining masculinity. Like, we have to redefine it to make it whatever we think is good. Like, and then they talk, then they take it one step further and talk about female masculinity. And then they take it for Well, masculinity actually means nothing. <laughs> and that's where it goes. And like, I feel like this, that's another word where you just change the container. The, the container has a label on it. The container yeah. has a label on it and there's yeah. stuff in it. Once you take all the stuff out, right. Still the, the container with the label. Now we're going to put stuff in it, but it's, yeah. it's not the stuff that was in it before. What, and a lot of times people like to, they like to co-opt. I mean, like vulnerability is a word that they're, that's being made to seem strong. Whereas like a lot of times they'll take any word that is, um, any word that sounds good mm-hmm. and then attribute whatever you want to it because it's a, it's a positive. Like strength is a good example. Right. People take the word strength all the time and like, I have a different kind of strength and, and they'll make up their own, whatever strength is, you know, but because strength is whatever quality that they have, that they're, they like about themselves. I, I, I always felt like strength was kind of like masculinity. What you said before is like, um, you know it when you see it. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it there is a certain thing that is strength, but it, it strength isn't just whatever, you know, there's kind of that survivor mentality. Like I got up today and I was strong. You know, like where you just devalue something, the whole way point to it doesn't mean anything anymore. (laughs) You know, like, well, strong means strong. I think I actually read an article by you like ages ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was, I actually thought your values were a little high, but like you were like, you were like, this is what being strong actually is. And you were talking about lifting, but you're like, this is what it means. (laughs) That pissed so many people off. I was so (laughs) so many people mad about that. I wasn't mad about it. I was just like, 
that's maybe a little high, but <laughs> you know. like when I when when I created that, like yeah. it was uh, me and Windler at the time, and it was uh, it was like squatting five hundred for twenty, it was deadlifting right. five hundred for twenty, it was uh, I think it was overhead pressing three hundred for ten, yeah, uh, it was like uh, the see chit ups with a hundred pounds for ten, deadlifts with two hundred pounds for ten, and I think barbell curling one eighty five for ten. And when I released that list, I still remember all the numbers. Man, that set the world on fire. People were so mad at me about that shit. And they're like, well, you're not accounting for like body weight. And I'm like, <laughs> Whittler's like, don't even, don't even listen to those bitches. He's like, it's, like, the whole point is, is that they're elite numbers because they're elite. Right, so right, right. And hit them. Guess what? Then you're just not elite. But the whole point of being elite is that you're special. And oh, yeah. everybody wants to be special. Everybody wants to be special. Exactly. You can't hit them. The whole point of something being elite is that it's barely attainable. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right. Point of something being elite. How, like, if you write a people like even now, and you and I have had this conversation before too, is like there's a lot of people that run around and call themselves best selling authors. Yeah. Because, like, on Amazon, technically, if you get a book that hits the number one spot in a, a genre, you're a best selling author, right? Yeah. Well, it's like New York Times best selling author actually doesn't include any self published authors. So, as I say, yeah. So, the pinnacle of it, really, of being a best selling author, always used to mean that you were a New York Times best selling right, author. Exactly. There's still a, a difference in all those things to me. When I hear New York Times best selling author, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a big deal. Um, but when you're like a best selling author, I usually have to go look and see what it is, how you've got that title sometimes, because it'll be some guys in some genre, there's only like seven books ever written on the subject. And six oh, no, it's true. I mean, I, I, I do that myself, because I mean, like, I like, I can't, I actually don't know how many books I've ever sold right. at this point, but I stopped tracking at 30,000 and, and that was about five years ago. That's a lot. And so it's well over a hundred. I mean, I know I sold 32,000 units last year in America, not counting translations. Right. So uh, I know it's over a hundred and I feel like I'm one of the best selling authors in my genre at this point. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, like, and I'm, I looked yesterday, I was a little bummed. I was only, I was like down to number 20 on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like I've been in that spot for like 10, you know, eight years. Right. Exactly. So I'll say that too, because it is hard to quantify because it's like the best selling author thing. They, uh, um, Here's what I'm getting at that one with though, Jack, okay, cool. on the topic was like some guy that sells like 500 books in a, in a, in a, in a uh, an abstract genre, yeah. like says best selling author. I'm like, it's not right. the same. Somebody like you that sold a hundred thousand books. It's not the yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. where you're in working out of a category that's got thousands and thousands and thousands of authors, right? Like to me, there's a big difference. Just like saying I'm a professional football player because you played over in some place in another country when they paid you $25 and said it's a pro league. And you can't compare that to playing in the NFL. So like these things yeah. are probably, it's like, well, I mean, an example that you're familiar with probably is this what used to drive me crazy. Like when I, you know, the few times that I've been at it like a powerlifting meet and i announced for one of them i actually like i was reading the scores and it made me crazy because uh you know in, in that in that world there's because there are all these federations and all these different weight classes and all these different things that's a, this that's is a, a world record like <laughs> like there's every every like every fucking lift is a goddamn world record. I used to uh, power lift man yeah. when i first got in i didn't understand the concept of when they'd say it's a world record they don't mean an all-time world record they mean a world record for that federation it's not the same yeah yeah like I, I, in this county on this day it's a world record <laughs> i would uh, i would be at me so be, but i've seen how's that a world record i didn't understand the concept when i first got into power lifting Oh yeah. How's that a world record when I've seen people squat more than that? Yeah. It's the same kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally, totally. Because then you have people walking around. I'm a world record holder in the, the, the okay. Sure. As, yeah, speaking of books, like I hope to uh, I'm actually I'm launching my uh, my carb cycling book 
my manual like okay. uh, Friday. And I think like, I'm going to put that out on, like, I just, I want the title of like best-selling author. I want a best-selling author title too. Sure. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to, I'm not releasing it on Kindle first, um, but just to have, it, it's a nice feather in your hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a cool thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, you've been, like you, you've hit number one, right? In, uh, in your I'm, category? I, I'm sure I have at some point. Well, I mean, it's like everybody hits it on the first day. Like you get a whole thousand, thousand people buy your book. It's <laughs> kind of bullshit. Shitty. It's, it's a long game, I think more, but. I, I, yeah. I was going to say, if somebody has a, like, like take somebody that like had like a big enough, like a couple million followers, whatever on social yeah, media. Yeah released a book and and had like enough people like boost it for a few days where it was at number one and they still get the best-selling author bit well that's the thing it's it's pretty subjective at that point because no one really knows the numbers it's like the thing is like i wish in a way that at least on amazon now amazon isn't even everything uh because like like my books you can actually buy through walmart which i just only recently found it out like you can buy my books on walmart.com that's awesome Uh, yeah it's cool but uh because i think they're trying to compete with amazon you know like it's so like they just it's come through a big distributor so they can get it that way. Ooh. And uh, so, yeah, so it, Emma doesn't, doesn't even count for everything, but for what it accounts for, it would be interesting if you actually see sales numbers. Right. Like what's the number? Like, okay, did only 30 books sell in this category? And therefore that's number one. That's an example. Like if you were a musician, yeah. like if you had a gold record or platinum, whatever, it means you had so many sales. Yeah, exactly. And you couldn't have a gold or a platinum. What was gold? Was it a hundred? thousand album sales or like platinum was a million something like that yeah something like that right so you like you had to have whatever the sales were and it'd be the same thing for books but i mean it all comes back to everybody who's a real writer and a real Mm -hmm. author knows that it's all about being the the new york times bestseller oh yeah 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 yeah, that definitely was the the thing i think now that that, that's the tricky thing too is those people also don't make money (laughs) like i I love all my books but like New York Times bestselling author probably got like 0.05% fucking royalties. <laughs> Whatever he got off. That. Well, they, they got a big check and he's got to pay the publishing company back all that money. Well, they, well, yeah, I mean, that's the way some stuff works, but actually it's like, uh, I think they just do it all and then send you a check or they give you an advance sometimes yeah. with the big guys. First, and then it's like, once you have enough sales to pay off the advance, then you get a certain amount of money, I think. like Yeah, first. something like that. Yeah, 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 something like that. So a lot of those people don't actually make that much money. Kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's the way that, that the industry works. I mean, this is super off topic, but it's like, yeah, basically, I don't, there almost are no more book, brick and mortar bookstores anymore. Right. You know, but uh, the way that game works and the way my book won't ever be in a Barnes and Noble. Right. For as long as they still exist. It will never be in one because the way that industry works is that you have to ship them, you know, however many books that they order mm-hmm. to get it on the shelf, but you have to accept returns. So what they do is they'll stock a whole bunch of sh- a shelf and make it look like this is the new big hit book. And then if they don't sell, they'll send them back and want a refund. And so you have to be able to rate them a $30,000 check when they send those books back. And I was like, well, I can't do that. So I'm never going to be on the shelf. And the the big publishers, they do that, but then they might have be sitting on 10,000 books. Yeah. Somebody in the industry, they told me basically there's, it's literally just like a dozen authors that are holding up the entire, um, like 
the the, the industry. Like, I'm sure, it, like your Harry Potters and shit like that. That exactly. Uh, there's only like a, a dozen or so plus authors with the John Grissoms and you know the yeah. Dick Rallings and those kind of guys. Those are people like there's just a few people that are holding up that entire industry. And you get some author authors here or there, but I mean, you don't even need to do that anymore. It's just like kind of like there's SoundCloud rappers out there, right? And there's 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 self-published authors that are making a shit ton of money. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way that the world works now. So it's it's not the way we don't you don't you don't become quote unquote famous or necessarily a best selling author the way that you used to be because there's too many avenues now. So. Yeah, it's totally it's the world's totally different. It's kind of like being famous on YouTube. Like, I mean, there's people who like are at the million subscriber level, and like those people get recognized in airports. That's a big deal, you know. Yeah. But they, Hollywood doesn't know who they are. They aren't like real famous. They're famous in this area, you know. They're famous in a, like yeah, and like a like a their little niche. So yeah. Them. That's, that's kind of cool. It's fine. Man, if you've got like, if you got a hundred million followers on anything, you're famous. I don't give yeah, a yeah. shit. Seriously. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. a million, that's a lot. Yeah. 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 Like, it's a lot. Like you're like, there's, there's no telling. Like you got all that. What one guy, athlete X or whatever. I think he's got 10 million subscribers on YouTube. That is, you know how much money that dude's making? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like an insane amount, like just through AdSense. So, yeah. 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 So I, I'm, I'm watching the book. Um, I think it's Friday. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited um, about that. I took, I, it was like six or seven different coaching groups. I took hundreds of people through this. So uh, I'm actually pretty excited. I've never done, a, I've never done a quote unquote diet book before, but uh, I have my buddy Alan Aragon, who's like one of the premier diet guys in the world. Okay. Like he looked it over and was like he he's excited about it. So I'm pretty stoked. I've, never, I've done a multitude of training books, but I've never done a diet book. Um, the one thing I like about a diet book is like um, diets where you see the most dramatic amount of like your body composition transformations, right? Like okay, you, yeah. could, you could be on a great training program, but if you're eating like dog shit, you know, you're not always going to be able yeah. to reveal what it is that that's actually doing for you. So yeah, uh, I'm pretty excited about over the next year about that and some of the other stuff that I got going on, like the train heroic where people will be able to come in and subscribe and I'm doing like coaching for like a lot of people in one spot and things like that. So uh, I'm pretty excited about a lot of stuff that's going to be happening uh, as far as those kind of things are, are coming. Oh, so is, is the book coming out like tomorrow or next Friday? Um, is today Thursday? Yes. Yeah. Today is Thursday. Yeah. So tomorrow. Oh, your book's coming out tomorrow. Well, cool. Okay, yeah. well, I'll, I'll get this out probably in time because uh, I'm working on it today because I have stuff to do this weekend. But no, uh, okay. so it's, it's, yeah, like I, I'll probably do like the whole get uh, this. I, I've been thinking like I might maybe do a discount for the first week or ten days or something. Uh, but like I said, I'm I uh, and you know how it is. Like you once uh, once you release a book, like there's a labor of love that goes into that. Whether it's you know sure. stuff and you kind of you're kind of immersed in that mindset for a while and. I don't know about you, but like I get it done and then I just sit there on it. I don't like to touch it or anything for a long time. And it just sits there. So like the dining book was done months ago and it just sat there. <laughs> well, that's good. But I mean, uh, by the time I get this book done that I'm working on, it'll be. But also yeah, the, the, COVID, you know, the whole but, COVID shit kicked in. So I didn't feel like releasing. Um, well, yeah, that, that would have been a bad time. Yeah. But now that I, gyms are opening back up and there's still a lot of people asking me. Like every day, like, hey, when are you going to release that that carb cycling diet book? So I was like, well, might as well since people are asking about it every day. Yeah, who knows? I, I might be interested. Like, here, this this is your spot, dude. Where where you pitch it? What, what, well, yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm just going to put it up on it. Like, I don't even use the blog anymore. I just use it to, for my ebook sales now. Like, I haven't written I've written one article in there in the past two years, and yeah. um, uh, I don't know about you. Like, 
but like writing articles anymore for me is um i've written i don't think it's like three thousand plus articles in the last so many years and multitude of books you know it's like writing articles like just isn't quite my thing anymore yeah so i still do it um i'm actually working i say that and i'm working on one right now for cluster training so uh but at the same time i don't write as much as i used to yeah me neither yeah there comes a point like i like you've done enough years and it's like you really got to be that your mindset has to be there you have to have that energy and that focus and that 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 drive for it right like whenever you do a book you're in that zone i, I call it kind of being in the zone when you do a book of where your mindset is really dialed into what it is that you're pouring on the paper every day ideally usually i'm dialed into it about six months before i start writing it and then i have to then it then it's that, homework where you kind of build the framework yeah 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 but Ed, like here's the topics I know I want to touch over and then you end up reading about other stuff related to it. And yeah. then you're like, how do I want to potentially put this down on paper and how do I want to reach out to other people and connect with and, and my own kind of unique special. Yeah. And it takes a while before you get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, a lot of people on the outside understand how these processes work. For writing. Yeah, you can't take, I mean, like right now I was talking to a podcast I did recently with somebody else. I was talking about like, I'm gathering kindling right now because like, exactly. I, I got I, I was seven chapters in and I'm like I'm not I'm not sure what I believe right now like I need to like fix it <laughs> like I need to I need to be a hundred percent on this and I need to get to a hundred percent so that I feel uh, solid yeah and so like that, now I'm going out and reading other things and whatever and like pulling everything back and then you go back and read your own stuff you're like I don't even know if I agree with myself right now yeah well that happens all the time I mean you have to and then you have to as a writer you have to fix that because then writing is a good thinking process. That's a good thing about it is like, th sometimes I'll write a whole chapter and be like, and now I know what I believe. Because I <laughs> Yes. You know? You got to be careful sometimes about what you're willing to put out there. Because people like, you said this. And you're like, but that was just like, I would just put that out there because I was going through my thought process about it. Like I hadn't necessarily arrived at what I really believe. Like it was just kind of pouring out of me. Well, if you're not, well, people always want to like live in the past. We're like, well, you said this like 20, 15 years ago. I mean, they do this to politicians all the time. Like, well, you said this thing 15 years ago. So you're held by that for your entire life. Exactly. And I'm like, well, if I didn't get any smarter in the last 15 years, then fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> so people that are like, like, well, you wrote this one thing like so many years ago. I'm like, yeah, that was in a completely different place in my life at that time. Yeah. 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 You know, if you had never, ever changed your necessarily your beliefs at all like ever you're probably not growing very much as a person yeah not at all yeah i mean i'm not saying it's like you said earlier like what you said is like if you want to change somebody's mind about it help them change their story yeah. right that's like the whole thing and we do that throughout life is that we when we go through certain cataclysmic events or we have when we suffer loss or when when things when we have those expensive lessons that happen is like that's when we like oh shit well, i don't want that to keep happening again let me i need to grow a little bit as a human being and stretch myself out there right that's when we can when find ourselves in those repeated patterns or those repeated those repeated uh, valleys um it's, we're gonna keep going back and reliving those experiences until we start telling a better story right like oh yeah one of the things i work with and i make sure to get this out because like this is one of the things if you want a different outcome in your life than what's been happening and you have a repeated behavior pattern something that's been showing up in your life over and over again then you at some point along the way you're telling yourself this story to achieve those outcomes and that's what i was talking about helping to create those behaviors or something to manifest come to fruition in your life 
but you are a part of that story. So you are helping that story come to fruition in your life over and over again. So if you don't like those outcomes happening over and over again, start learning how to walk yourself to new outcomes by telling yourself different stories. Mm-hmm. And somebody like, what do you mean by telling yourself a different story? Well, it's like I said earlier, like if you ask somebody that cheated on you and then you are being triggered emotionally because something your partner did, it's like, oh, they're cheating on me. Like, stop, stop. Okay. Do you know that that's true? Yeah. Okay. How is it like start asking yourself internally, do you know that that's true? How about I go to my partner and go, listen, I'm struggling right now because of some stuff that you did and reminds me of some things that happened to me. Can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Now what I'm doing is giving myself a chance to walk to a new outcome. Yeah. Right. Rather than going, how these, these people cheat on me. When you start rolling down, I start asking people these questions because I've done this. They don't know for a fact somebody was cheating, but some they found out somebody was at some point in their life. And then right. all their partners were cheating because right. they said something or had a behavior that reminded them of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that applies to everything. If you don't want that same outcome, start telling yourself better stories. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, yes. And that's what we're trying to do. I mean, obviously we're both kind of writing and seeking truth of some kind. And so we're trying to find a better story. You know, really. I mean, that's it. it well, anyway, the thing about that is, um, Jack, is that our life is our story, right? How are we? How are we waking up each day and writing it? Hundred percent. How are we writing each day? It's like you said earlier. You sometimes you get stuck, like you said, right? You fucking email. Like every day I was getting up, I was writing the same shit over and over and over. Exactly. Dude, I've done. I've been there, man. And it's yeah. like the, one of the worst places that you can be until you get out of that cycle where you're waking up every day and reliving that conversation, the same windshield argument, the same shower argument, the same email, the same text. Oh, yeah. You're stuck. And until something breaks, to break yourself out of that thought process, you just get stuck in that emotional space. Yeah. I mean, it's good when you're smart enough not to act on that argument constantly. <laughs> you know, like that's a level of maturity. You're like, I'm, but you're still having the argument. And then that's, you know, like that's how you know you're kind of through something when you're no longer having the the, not the having field shit goes away. Then you're like you you've yeah it's it's far enough gone, and you have I, to I you have to get it, to that spot. I call it the second thing. Yeah, the, the second. second thing, I call it the second thing is like when something's really heavy on your soul at the time that you don't have um you don't have a re- either you haven't had resolution for it or, re- or restitution whatever you haven't had closure for something. Mm-hmm. You, when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing on your mind. Yeah. And when, when you start moving out of that space into a, a, a space of where you're finding some closure for it, some healing, it'll become the second thing. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing. And hopefully then you get to a point where you go through maybe even a week without thinking about it at all. That's ideal. Yes. When you wake up, man, I went through a rough, maybe a couple of years ago, we had talked every once in a while. I went through a rough relationship a few years ago with this girl. I was with for like three years. Mm-hmm. And, um, the best part I found when I was healing was that I'd be like, um, when I got over the whole thing, it's like, it'd be like a week or so would go by. I'm like, oh, I, I haven't even thought about her this whole week. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great. When, yeah. when you're like, the it's, thing that you were obsessed with and you get to the point where you're like, oh, oh yo, shit, I haven't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about that. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's when you know you're kind of getting there, right? Like when yeah. you really have to think about the fact that you haven't thought about them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're finally getting there. Yeah, I said that in a speech once. I mean, it, one of the benefits of being older is that you do see this. You, you've lived long enough that you've, you know, that's the problem that so many kids have. And this is probably, you know, this is 
today they become shooters sometimes and whatever, but like they, they have no sense of time. Like when people are in high school. This will pass. This will pass. Yeah, yeah. They don't have any sense of like scale or time of like whatever. And, uh, and it, it, it said in the speech once that like, uh, man, I remember people who I was so mad out that that now I don't even know their names. Like I, I literally cannot remember their names. I've lived long enough that I, I've said this about like a life and death fucking thing. And now I don't even remember their names. Okay, I've said this about like arguments that you have, like your yeah. significant other. Like yeah. go back and think in your life about arguments that not what you'll remember is how you felt, but you don't remember what the hell you were arguing over. Yeah, nine out of ten times you don't necessarily remember what you were fighting about in a certain time. You just remember that you were arguing with this person, you were hurt or upset, but you don't remember the topic. But it's like you said, there's there's people that now you're like, I don't even I remember having this beef with this person at the time and you lose sleep over it or whatever. And you're like, I don't even remember that person's name. Yeah. And you think about how much of our life that we lose out on that bullshit about stuff that later down the line becomes completely irrelevant to our existence as a human being. Yeah. I don't even like, if you ran across them today, like you might not either recognize them or if they talked about, have you ever run into old friends and they talk about a moment that you shared together or did something you don't remember it at all? Oh, totally. Yeah, I have a shitty memory, so that happens all the time. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> like, like I, if I go home running to old friends, they're like, remember when we went to blah, blah, blah? I'm like, dude, are you sure you were with me? And they're like, yeah, because you did blah, blah, blah. And there might be like one little thing I remember the, to know that I was there, but the rest of the stuff they're talking about, like, I don't remember that at all. It's yeah. weird how you kind of collect certain memories that you that you remember really well, and then that other people remember from that that stuff. You know, but like, right. they'll, I remember you did whatever. And I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't, that wasn't me. They're like, no, it was. And like, then they'll talk about other stuff because we whenever, and then I'll remember something in that story that I'm like, oh yeah, I was there. But yeah. then I remember whole other parts of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, whenever I talk to my mom, she's like, oh, I saw so-and-so. And like, these people knew me when I was like, you know, 18. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about. I have no idea who you're talking about. I've lived in like four cities and like had like whole groups of friends that have come and gone between there. But to my mom, she's still living in the same place. So that's still like part of her reality. And so it's, it's very strange. Yeah. But, uh, I think that is part of the wisdom, I think, of getting older a little bit in that you can try to talk to young people about it. And like I was talking, I always like use the term valleys or whether, you know, whatever yeah. waters that we find ourselves swimming in. And um, is that I have to remind myself of up to this point in life, I have a 100% success rate of overcoming all the obstacles that life has put in front of me. There you go. And you have to sometimes when you get find yourself in another valley and you're like, man, what the fuck? You know, yeah. <laughs> here I go again. But then you got to remind yourself, you're like, oh, but I've been here before and I come out of it. And, you know, is there a lesson to learn? And that's what I said. I don't all, I don't ascribe to that. Sometimes I'm like, that was a really expensive valley to just visit because I already knew the lesson. I could have done so much better. And maybe the lesson in those instances is that, yeah, you can do so much better. And if you don't want to lose, have another expensive lesson, do better, be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I could think of a really expensive mistake that I made in the past few years that uh, I, I, uh, I, objectively, I could have told you at the time that it was a bad 
choice. Right. <laughs> objectively, objectively, I, if you I, I, coming as a writer on a certain level of the things I was talking about, if you would have asked me the same situation, should another person do the thing that I did, I would say no. I would have said, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I did it because I was invested in it and I tried it and whatever, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, and it's the same thing for me. It's like I had somebody, um, I had just like an argument that spanned over the course of like three days with somebody uh, that I really loved and cared about. And I I handled it. I, it was just such a misappropriation of my own emotional handling of that situation. Mm-hmm. It ended up being just a really expensive lesson. Like I knew better. And you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't want things to go that way. And sometimes those, are, I think, they are tougher to overcome because Sometimes when a person screws you over, you look at it. I'm a very forgiving person and I feel like you get screwed over and I can kind of, I can take that L, the L in that one sometimes, get over that faster. But when I fuck up and I cause the problem, man, that one, that one, that haunts me a lot longer than somebody else doing me wrong. I don't like if I mess it up, it's like it was, it was my responsibility and I didn't show up the way that I could have shown up in that moment. Um, yeah. with the best version of me when I struggle with that more than somebody because if somebody else screws me over I'm like okay that person's dysfunctional and I can forgive them and yeah. move on with my life and know okay they're just but if, if it's something where I'm like I see where the other person I should have showed up in a better way for them then um and I I there's like a, there's, there's a misappropriation of the handling of that from an emotional standpoint on my part I re- I'll struggle with that for a long time because I was like man I wish I could have shown up better for this person in that moment well, I mean, as you should, because then the, then you're addressing like personal failure rather than you're as somebody else's bullshit is somebody else's bullshit. And you don't have to. I mean, oh, oh well, yeah, that's another person. You can't control them, but right. you can control yourself. So if you fucked up then you're like, I, I wish I wouldn't have fucked up. I mean, that haunts me forever, dude. It's yeah, like, it should. Right. The, yeah. Like when I do the messing up, I'm like, man, this is it doesn't it takes forever to go away before I can. And then, you know, like I it's so hard to give myself closure in those moments because I'm like. I think that it comes back to like you, when we talked about us having a certain amount of honor and integrity and when we circumvent living through that ethos, right? Mm-hmm. That we're, man, I was not working from the place that helps me sleep well at night. And what I mean is like, it's like the, make the best decisions that you can make in this life that help you sleep well at night. And if we, I feel like if we make the most honorable decisions that are ingrained in integrity and, and living in our truth and what we talked about, more times than not, we'll sleep well at night. And then when you know, you're like, man, I fucked up in that decision. I didn't, I didn't approach that particular topic or this, this conversation or whatever in a way that I know that that is a reflection of the honor and integrity that I want to have as a man. I feel like that when we, we can't show up in that authentic truth of who, who we want to be, who we, who we believe that we are, that is when I tend to have the most amount of trouble moving forward out of those spaces. Cause I'm like, man, I, I screwed up. I hate, I hate messing shit up. I hate messing shit up. And that it's that's the expensive lessons that you end up learning um, that that end up costing you. But so that's like I don't necessarily believe in the whole, despite the fact that you know um, I'm a spiritual I'm a spiritual person. Um, I I'm a Christian, um, but I don't. To me, it's like it's like people waiting on God to show up in their life and do stuff. I'm like, no, you got to get out there and do your shit, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, even like the, one of the pastors I follow, Stephen Furtick, talked about that. He's like, every time that you wait around. For God to fix something in your life is a, a missed opportunity for you to do some shit for yourself, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's how I approach those misappropriations like situations. It's like, man, 
just not showing up as the absolute best version of yourself for those situations. And when you're bringing your own baggage and bullshit to the table, it's like, oh, you can find an introspection. That's when stuff in your life tends to fall apart is when you're not showing up properly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it should. I mean, I think uh, my buddy Richard Grannon, I think, said something along those lines. Uh, to You know, when you're when your actions and words and your lifestyle are lining up what you actually truly believe, mm-hmm. then you're, you're, you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah. And it's hard. You, you, oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Well, yeah. A- anything that's good is hard, right? <laughs> you know, anything that that's exceptional, it, we tend to find there's a lot of struggle involved in it. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. That's yeah. it. <laughs> something that we were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. It's freaking strong. It's hard to get there. Yeah. Um, but even with personal development, showing up, having amazing people, like everybody says, oh, I want an amazing relationship, right? And I write about right. that shit a lot. And I want an amazing relationship. That's work. That is work, man. You want an awesome relationship with a person? It's work. Oh, yeah. Like, show up and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I found this person. And it's awesome on all levels. You've got to do some work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You and then within the relationship, I always tell people the two most important things in a relationship that you can work on is self and relational awareness. Like you have to have awareness of yourself and then you have to have awareness about your, how your partner perceives you and the situation. That is the two biggest things that you can bring to the table. Yeah. That will help. And, and developing those things are hard. So it's two things, but develop the development of them. It's like saying, have an elite total of powerlifting. Yeah. That's one thing, but to do that. Really hard. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> And then maintain an elite total in powerlifting. Because really with a relationship, what you're doing is trying to maintain that. You know, it doesn't go away. That elite relationship. Yeah. That that shit is like, it's work. And people are like, oh, I know it's hard work. I'm like, no, you don't. Like, no, you don't. Because it's like, it's a a daily work. It's a daily thing of of constantly growing. And you're going to change. Your partner's going to change. Are you growing with them? Are you growing apart? Right. There's like so many moving parts to it. So you have to stay on top of that. So... A lot of people say they want that shit. They just don't understand the work that comes involved in it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So uh, we're probably gonna have to wrap up soon. I think we did a, a, a classic marathon uh, fucking podcast. But but I, I before we do, I want you to jump into just explain a little bit about what your new book is about. So the carb cycling book that I'm going to release um, is basically um, it's this this it's just carb and calorie cycling cycling that I developed over the last few years. Um, it's like a template that I found works really well. Um, one of the things that I, I like about it is that you end up having multiple days of the week. Kind of, It kind of works in phases throughout the week where you do different calorie and carb cycling. And uh, it kind of keeps things interesting. So you're not, it's a nonlinear diet where a linear diet should eat the same shit every day and then you reduce calories over time. This, there's, there's, um, it's like low calories, high calories, and then you do like a fasting day. So I have a lot of like fun little moving parts keeping interesting during the week. And um, it's, it's really, really good for people um, who want to kind of shed that idea that, hey, I can't eat carbs and lose fat. And I've consistently proved that. I mean, we know that uh, through the law of thermodynamics, but uh, there's still a lot of people out there, you know, because keto has been popular for a while now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, if you eat carbs, you get fat and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I, you know, I, that's another thing that just helps people get over. And I help kind of show in the book is like, it's really all about your calorie uh, management and smart carbohydrate, smart uh, fat management in your diet. Um, so I've had, like I said, I've had, I think more, I've put more than 400 people through the diet just in my coaching groups alone. Oh, wow. that I've had really good success with it, like across the board. 
So we're pretty excited about it from that, from that standpoint. So I keep things simple in the book. In the book, I actually give, I don't know how many diet men, like literally broken down diet menus. It's for, it's for men and women and weights all the way up to, I want to say 275 pounds for men. And I want to say 180 or 200 pounds for women, um, just for examples, uh, literally like diets that are written out mm-hmm. and a couple days of the week. So it's a lot of content just from the, like the menu, from the menus alone. So pretty, like I said, it's going it, to, the, the book, you should be able to take it, hit the ground running, uh, go over the numbers and um, get started right away. And I've done this, like I said, with my coaching groups, uh, I think seven different coaching groups that I've had people come through. So it's, it's been a, it's been a, a very interesting thing. I have all the real world results to go with, with the book. Well, which is really important. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll definitely be interested in that. I'll probably check it out just cause I, 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 I have settled into, I, I eat a certain amount of egg whites in the morning, <laughs> just forever. Like I've just locked into the thing, but I could probably shake things, things up a little bit. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it. Um, like I said, it, it definitely, um, I've, I've got a friend from John Wellborn, who's an NFL guard, starting guard for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, the Chiefs. And he came to me like last year and like, you know, he just wanted a little bit of structure and I gave him the template and he's like, dude, this is awesome. Um, so um, he's enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I had Ellen Aragon look it over and he's like, dude, it's like he's, he loved the, the book and the structure. And I've had, I don't know, I've done it with clients. I've done it with my coaching group. So I'm pretty excited about the release of it. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. Well, I hope it does well. And yeah, well, I'll, I'll put a link to it uh, down in the... I'll, I'll just that. shoot it over to you whenever I get the, the finalized version of it done uh, so you can put it into effect. Because I think, uh, I know you like to play around with that kind of stuff too, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, in your yeah. guide to kind of see what happens from it. So, uh, I mean, I think you'll absolutely, if you stick to it, uh, you'll get the, you'll get good results too. Everybody who actually follows and has high degree of compliance with, like, they're amazed. I had a couple of competitors come through that used it and they're like, I've never had such an easy time going through a diet. So it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool, cool. All right, man. So it's been a, a good time. We did, like you said, we did another marathon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was good though. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we were all over the place, but it was uh, it was good. I figured it would be a good time. It was. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, bud.